0: The presents SCP. Steve Dangle podcast with your hosts, Steve Dangle and Adam Wild.
1: In the last two weeks, the lease have dumped eighteen point one million dollars off their salary cap. Actually, yes, that's also, a lot of dollars. They also took on thirteen point one million. Well, there's that. Mm. There is that. Now, oh, details. To help us break down. What the hell happened? Because quite frankly, it was we were starting to get a little cagey about halfway through, starting to worry out worry a little bit Me, halfway through. Never. Maybe maybe Steve was going to lose it on his Leafs halfway through. <laughs> don't let Mitch Marner hold up everything else you want to do, said Steve. And oh, it was a two part <laughs> mind losing.
2: It was a two part mind losing. It was don't let Mitch Marner hold up everything, and then yesterday at the end of the free agent frenzy, or so we thought, I called the Leafs losers. Wow! Yep.
1: Now to bring on, we had to bring on somebody <laughs> who was going to be—that's not an overreaction the, at all—the beacon of truth and light in our lives when it comes to the Leafs and other things too. Honestly, Mr. Chris Johnston, congratulations, Chris, on an incredible season. Just want to say, thank you. It was a fun year. It, it, well, I, I hope so because it didn't feel like a fun year from our perspective. No, um, but the, okay. So you, you you saw what happened with the Leafs yesterday, and let's talk it about. I don't know, 3.30 yesterday before this trade goes through with Tyson Berry and Nazem Kadri. How are you feeling about the Leafs' last two weeks before that trade yesterday around this time?
3: Well, I was still pretty bullish on it, honestly, because, you know, I knew that uh, Nazem Kadri at that point was likely to be moved. You know, I, I'm not, I wasn't sure exactly what he was going to bring back or, you know, what it would be, how long it would take. But, you know, it did seem to me like that was a sensible way to approach uh solving an issue which was to to rebuild their defense to a certain degree and so you know i wasn't probably as down on them as steve was i wouldn't have <laughs> been putting them in the loser pile i wasn't uh, you know i wasn't thinking it was a disaster but you know when you take in the totality i think it's hard to argue that they, they haven't made some improvements here and they've done it all well not compromising themselves with the cap
2: yeah they've they've definitely improved um I would say as of the cadre trade, they improved. Uh, people were trying to sell me on the, well, they got up from under of contract. And believe me, I understood why that was a wonderful thing and something that I had hoped for for a very long time. I just looked at the right side of defense and I went, I'm sorry, who the hell plays for the Toronto Maple Leafs? Right. Please don't! I had so many people going, hey, don't worry, Cody is gonna be on the third pair. Behind who? What? Ben oh, Harper. Yeah, but the <laughs> Justin Hall and <laughs> Timothy Lilligren, who may never actually get called up. I'll believe it when I see it. Like, sorry, I was... Forgive me, CJ, if, if I was losing my mind a little bit. Um, but well,
3: then, to be fair, you were losing your mind going back about four days. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. true. Days? I, it is very true, yeah. Well... Probably a lot longer than nice. that, but certainly over the weekend, I was getting a lot of frantic texts from you. Oh, <laughs> the Leafs trading Zaitsev.
4: What? For CeCe. What?
1: <laughs> well, okay, so let's talk about that deal because it, it was kind of the first major piece after Marlowe, right? Yes. Um we're looking at, you know, we we thought Connor Brown might get moved to the trade deadline. He gets thrown in as a what they're calling it, at least a sweetener to uh uh to Ottawa. Um coming back, you've got Cece and Harper, both right-shot guys, both big guys, both huck it up and not uh not Harper's well, left. Is Harper right. left? Okay. I also well, don't think it matters. I don't think he'll play no. a game I, for the I, least. I don't think so either. But my question to you CJ is when you when you look at what Cody Cece brings, are we just getting a Uh, basically what Nikita Zaitsev brought, but for less than five more years? Is that what the goal is here? Or do the Leafs really believe with this guy that at 25 years old and, you know, he was drafted high and there were big expectations and at one point this guy was considered to be, you know, a really great prospect for the Ottawa Senators. Is this guy they believe that they can change, rehab, and get some found money out of?
3: Well, I think the reason this works for the Leafs is that at minimum he's the guy you mentioned. He's Zaitsev equivalent or, or complementary, and he's only signed for one year. You know, presumably when this trade goes through, instead of five more the way Nikita Zaitsev was. So, you know, that worked for the Leafs on a number of levels. It, it, the risk is not uh, nearly the same as it, as it is in terms of taking Zaitsev on like the Senators did. And you know, I think you got to see. I mean, part of Cody Sease's tough results to me is that he's been on a poor team. And he's been used in a way that, you know, I don't think the Leafs intend in any stretch to, to use him as a matchup guy. So we been playing into the 20 minute uh, range consistently for them. And so we'll have to see, you know, I think that this is a, a buy low kind of scenario for Toronto. You know, it's hard to, to see that because it's a bit of a complex trade, but you know, they, they didn't really give up all that much that they valued to get him. You know, I do expect he'll be on a one-year contract and, and, you know, let's see if, if a change of scenery and a third-pairing kind of deployment, uh, you know, a lot of zone start in his favor and those types of things, uh, you know, make him into a bit more useful of a player than he appeared to be in Ottawa.
1: Do you see him being a, the kind of guy that, that Toronto can... If they get... Apparently there was the verbal agreement, and I believe it was you who tweeted this out, uh, between Kyle Dubas and CC and his agent that said basically $4.5 million. But you can go up to three point eight in a signing bonus, right? So that leaves... Eight hundred thousand dollars that CC could make throughout the year, that makes him more attractive to floor teams. There is the argument out there floating around that maybe the Leafs do that and trade him to a floor team so they can absorb the cap and he never sees a game with the Leafs. When you consider the way the rest of the lineup is constructed, fast, um, uh, you know, puck moving, accurate passing, he doesn't seem to fit those bills. And and I I wonder what your perspective is on that, or do they feel like? yeah, you know what, we are mostly skilled, but we do, do still need what Co- Cody CeCe could bring at his best.
3: Well, for the reason Steve was freaking out before I knew about Tyson Barry, I, I think they're <laughs> unlikely to move him straight away unless they know they have another right shot player right. lined up. I mean, just uh, from a from a balance standpoint, you know, it probably makes sense to structure the contract in the manner uh, that, that you're laying out there because, look, uh, players tend to favor upfront money. There is a value to present money, and and we've seen this, uh, the Leafs do this with a lot of guys they like too. You know, it just makes all these these players more tradable. That's why the the CC deal you know waited till July 1st because of the bonuses that were paid to Nikita Zaitsev and Nazem Kadri and uh, Connor Brown. You know, the, the reason those three trades all didn't happen before July 1st is that the Leafs were able to to pay that money, and the teams are getting those players for a higher cap hit, but not having to to lay out as much uh, in terms of their paychecks. So. You know, I think this is something that Lisa brilliantly used to their advantage. I wonder if it will survive as something they can do into the next collective bargaining agreement, because mm. there are you know teams out there that don't like that that you know this is an advantage, so to speak, that some of the richer teams have, like Toronto, like Montreal, as we saw in their attempts to get Sebastian Ojo. You know, it was going to include a lot of bonus money, but you know, when we're talking specifically about Cody Cc, I do think it makes some degree of sense to, to build a, a decent signing bonus in there in case they get to a point where they feel they have to move him or they're able to to perhaps get another right shot D and, and it you know, makes him more expendable because he's a lot easier to trade to a team that's down near the bottom and turns a cap pit but doesn't really have to pay him much uh, to play. Right.
2: Chris, you deserve some time off. I would love for you to get some time off. But the more you talk, the more I'm like, CJ's going to get zero time well,
1: off at all. Hang, but, ha- hang on to that too. For just to interrupt, what sure. did CJ offer to do before this very episode? Uh, <laughs> massage my temples. I'm not. A, <laughs> oh my god, this guy,
2: <laughs> CJ. I'm. Hey, so uh, yeah, phone her? massage your temples. Yeah. Hey, uh, CJ Phoner. Yeah, or like I can walk there. It'll take like 25 minutes. Like he was just going to walk here on a whim
1: and just come out. Take like a oh, half my hour god. walk. Chris, we owe you so much. We owe you many <laughs> meals and many beers, my friend. Well, I appreciate that. Uh,
3: you know, and this isn't work. I mean, in all seriousness, both your podcast, but even what I do for actual money uh, doesn't feel like work, and I think that's part of uh, what what makes it so enjoyable and why I don't mind doing it. And, and you won't hear much complaint out of me if, if this keeps being a busy NHL offseason into mid-July, because, for one, it feels like it could be, and, and secondly, it's kind of fun, too. So, you know, I don't mind.
2: Well, for the reasons... You just laid out, uh, I don't sense a Cody CeCe deal coming anytime soon. Uh, Kerfoot, I think, is sort of leaning towards salary arbitration, so I don't see that ending anytime soon. And then, well, Mitch Marner's represented by Darren Ferris, so I don't see that <laughs> ending uh, anytime soon. Uh, so what's what do you think Kyle Dubas is going to do to uh, what's his fill next his move?
3: time? Well, I, you know, I don't know that there's much else he can do. I mean, really, I think his focus is the Marner situation. You know, there's, there's only so much you can do, but now that you're on the other side of July 1st, uh, at least to the point we're having this conversation, an offer sheet hasn't emerged for him. Uh, you know, I'm sure that he was looking on longingly at the situation Carolina had with Alho. Uh, the Leafs would gladly uh, like to see Marner get that kind of offer sheet, even with the upfront money. Could they? Of course, could... Well, I mean, no, but they would, they would <laughs> sign that and They would match that in half a second. Uh, <laughs> they, they would love to see that kind of structure and, and, cap hit to uh, come in, even a five-year deal, I think they can live with, even though that's that's probably the, the least desirous number of years from the least perspective, just because you are walking Marner and Matthews to uh, potential free agency at the exact same time. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think they'll be very busy. I'm still curious what's happening with Jake Gardner. Um, you know, I, I've heard a fair bit of conversation that he, he'd like to find his way back to Toronto, yeah, you know, I don't know if it takes another trade of some sort to make that happen. It would uh, for, have to. Well, you would think even just from a, a roster standpoint, I mean, let's leave the money aside for a moment because I think if he ever did come back, it would be on what we would deem to be a hometown discount, certainly compared to what he can get on the open market. But you know, his free agent position has been the weirdest probably of any player this year. I've, I've had trouble getting any real intel on it um i've been told consistently he wanted to come back to toronto even as we've sort of thought that wasn't possible uh just because of the cap implications and so you know it just feels to me like it's at least hanging out there as a possibility uh but you know i I would think it it involves a trade and and those don't aren't always easy to make although pal dubas has been making them look pretty easy with the number he's pulled off in the last uh, 10 days or so but um you know I, i don't think it'll be that much more busy of a summer honestly from The Leafs' perspective and the key for them would be trying to get Marner's contract sewn up uh, long before training camp, because I don't think they want to enter another season the way that they went to the start of last one.
5: Do you know how long ago the Leafs made the decision to move Kadri? Was this something that Dubis was like convinced once he was suspended versus Boston? He's like he's not coming back with this team, or did it lead up until like this past weekend?
3: I think it was more around the draft time. You know, at, at that position, at that point in time, they made the decision you know, once and for all, so to speak, to sign Kapanen and Janssen and, and not trade those guys because a lot of the teams that had called the Leafs and, and were interested even in, say, taking Patrick Marleau's contract wanted one of those players. And so around the the, the point where they reached verbal agreements uh, with, with Kapanen and Janssen, and, and so they, they decided essentially that they weren't going to use those players to to, to turn into other assets. I think that, that sort of sealed Cadre's fate. I mean, obviously it's been hanging in the air as a possibility, but you know I, I really don't think it was until around the draft when the Leafs stepped up their efforts and and essentially they talked to every team that uh, needed potential center depth and had some defensemen that that you know might be be tradable and and kind of worked the market from from that standpoint. And obviously they had to create their own cap room before they could make that trade. I think you know paying Cadre's bonus on July 1st was another incentive they could offer a team. And, and, um, you know, they asked Nazem to to waive his no-trade clause that he had as part of a deal they had with Calgary, and and, and Kadri didn't do that. But I think, really, once you do that, it's hard to bring a guy back. I mean, you've already signaled that he's going to be traded. You know, Kadri has a 10-team no-trade clause, and so that meant there's 20 other teams out there that didn't require his consent, and, and that sort of paved the way for the deal to come together with Colorado.
1: He traded, he, he, instead of going to Calgary, he went to America's Calgary, basically. Right. <laughs> Denver, 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 Denver and Calgary are very similar in a lot of ways. Like they They're are, beautiful. Everyone's high? Um, <laughs> not everyone's is high, it? no. Um, no, hold on, though. Hold on, though. I want to ask about that because there is the. you talk about the Calgary trade that was nixed. Yeah. Um, Evidently, now, from what we've heard, from what I've heard, it's TJ Brody that was involved in that. Is, have you heard any names? Who was the third team? What's the deal there?
3: Well, I, I do believe it was TJ Brody. I don't know 100% that was the case, but it was a more complex uh, trade to, that was being pulled off. I believe Winnipeg was the third team that was involved. And, you know, I can't tell you what else the Leafs would have given up if it would have just been Cali Rosen the way they did to Colorado. I don't know what was going between uh, Winnipeg and Calgary. So, you know, it's a bit incomplete, but. I know for certain that Calgary was the city uh, that Nazem was asked to, to waive his no trade for, and that it was a similar type of deal in conception uh, from just the Toronto standpoint uh, that they made with Colorado, i.e. they were going to get a defenseman back that could play the right side, which TJ Brody fits the profile, and a- another cheaper uh, center slash forward that they could plug in essentially to, to Kadri's place because you know that that's, that was – really work Kerfoot falls in and the deal that was made. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, at, at the time that that is making that choice, you know, he, he probably doesn't know that Colorado, I, I don't believe he knew. All right, if you turn it down to Cogger, you're going to Denver and you don't have a say in it. You know, I doubt that he would have had that degree. He was just more focused on if the timing is right. I think he's soon to become a new father. Uh, there's a lot going on in his life. Uh, and obviously any player that has a no trade has the right to turn down a destination. I, I don't think it was an outright there's no chance I'm going to Calgary. I think there was some discussion there, but ultimately that uh, that knocked the, the trade off the rails.
2: This guy was drafted 10 years ago. What was your favorite Nazem Kadri memory, either oh, talking man. to him or on the ice, or just some that stand out?
3: Well, what I always loved about him, and it's not so much a specific memory, but I've never seen a player less affected by the media in Toronto, which is obviously largely my dealings with them, uh, with, with these guys that play for the Leafs than than cadry i mean you know right from the moment he came in when you know the dallas hakins called him fat when he was their top prospect right and and literally i think that the toronto sun headline said fatso with a picture of him on the front cover we're talking like 18 19 year old kid which i'm shocked different time true it's just it's uncomfortable looking back it wasn't much better in the moment i mean it's Kind of a strange way to treat your top prospect i get that you're trying to get through to him and change his ways but um you know despite all that stuff and, and many things in between i mean remember he was suspended by the team for missing a practice a few years ago he's been suspended on the ice a number of times including the two times in the playoffs that are going to stick in people's minds but even three or four other times i mean no matter what the the controversy or the the story of the moment was he just never was really in a bad mood with the media he always seemed to to like to play it up he, you know he was one of those guys that i i always would say the edger the question you ask him the better the answer is i mean he's he's a terrible sort of answering the the normal rote question but you could ask him something very specific and and with a bit of edge to it and and he was always great to deal with so you know i think my best memories probably are are just the dealings with him because he's way 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 above average for nhl players in terms of a media member. You know, on the ice, he had some great moments. I, I remember, this is going a ways back, but I covered a game in Ottawa on a Saturday night. He had a hat trick. And I, I believe Don Cherry actually was at the game and brought him in and kissed him like he did to yes. all those years yes. ago.
2: In front of Colton or in Fraser McLaren. Yep.
3: You know, that was around the time that, that Naz was really taken off and it was becoming clear that he was going to deliver on his promise and be a real impact player for the Leafs. I mean, remember... He, you know, in, in the Randy Carlisle era, it took a while for him to break through. I mean, he was sort of a third-line center slash second-line for a while, but, you know, he wasn't playing with Kessel. And, and so it, it took a little bit of a period of time for him to break through. I remember the Game 7 in 2013 in Boston. He scored one, the goal in the, the the third period of Game 7. All right, hang on. Well, one-to-one. So, all right. <laughs> I mean, I just... <laughs> <laughs> hang on, this. Hang on. Gonna... <laughs> you know, he had lots of cool moments as a Leaf, is all I'm saying. I mean, that, yeah. What happened next, I realized, it's probably, come on, Steve, it's not that painful now. It's years later. There's other pain on top of that pain. Oh, yeah. I mean,
1: it's have pick a pig pain sandwich. Um,
3: or, well, it's, maybe. <laughs> but,
2: maybe.
3: Sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, We're, you go.
1: Maybe not the worst transition. Uh,
2: Nazem Kadri plays the whole series against Boston. Is he still a Leaf?
3: The odds are better, for sure. Yeah. I mean, first of all, you know, they might win the series. You know, I don't think it's a stretch to suggest that one of Toronto's edges in that series was having the three centers they do uh, because the Bruins aren't similarly stacked at this point beyond Patrice Pergeron, you know, David Krejci getting up there um, and they get to game seven. So, I mean, it, it's a, it, it, there's no way we'll ever know, but, but losing Kadri for five games of that series, having Nylander play center instead of potentially on Austin Matthews wing. I mean, all those kind of dynamics maybe make it differently. And certainly I think he's seen a little bit differently uh, you know there was some trust loss there you know 10 years is a long time for an athlete and especially an athlete that's you know a first round pick the way Kadri was with all the turmoil that that, that this team and this organization has been through in that 10 years um, and I think I really do believe that the Leafs felt that they had put a lot of faith in Kadri I mean they didn't trade him when he missed that practice during sort of one of those forgotten seasons and 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 was suspended but you know they they kind of challenged him at that point and uh, I think that on some level, with upper management, there was a feeling that you just didn't know if you could trust them in those moments to make the right decision to to be reliable. I know it, it, it's a bit of a harsh judgment, but, you know, it's two serious suspensions, back-to-back years. I, I mean, I, I, I hate it. Same city, to... same team, same spot in the ice. You know, it's hard to say you learned from the lesson that, that, you know, from the 2018 playoffs, you know, this time around. Is it a harsh judgment?
1: Like, that? that like the one thing is, is that I was a big Nas defender, and... You know, even for me and not that I matter, but, you know, even for me watching on my own, you know, if if the Leafs went into Boston next year and nazim's in the in the lineup like that is a topic on this show. Will Nazem Kadri make it through this? This, this, uh, you know. I I mean, and it would be on any show. I think you're you're not doing your job if you're not talking about that storyline. And I do find it funny, kind of interesting that Nazem Kadri's third game with the Avalanche will be against the Boston Bruins. So, oh, you're joking. So it's like that's that we're talking first weekend of the year, Nazem Kadri and the Colorado Avalanche, which sounds so weird against the Boston Bruins. Now, I want to say, Chris, what you were saying there is is you know it's it's true. Like there has to be. A point where an organization goes, okay, we've, we've worked, we've tried to work through all these things with you. Um, and yes, maybe the off ice issues are gone, but even on the, on the ice, we, we kind of need you to be there because you're a key member of this team. That said, his contribution to the turnaround of this team should not go uh, unstated either. And, and you, you kind of made mention of it, but like we're talking about a guy that, hey, remember when, you know, Mike Babcock's first year and Nazem oh. Kadri signs that show me deal. And he uh, he can't score a goal to save his life that year because he just his shooting regressed and that's what it was. But what a player he turned into! And you know, I, I I look at it now and I go, I hope he's not remembered for those two suspensions in the playoffs. I know that's what maybe necessitated some of this, but I sure hope that's not what people pull out of ten years of Nazem Kadri because it was so much more than that.
3: Yeah, and I, I think that will be the case. I mean, certainly. I don't get the sense there's any bad feelings towards them for management or anything like that. I, you know, I should be yeah. clear, they didn't have to trade them. It's just let's rewind back and look at their decision this offseason. I think their decision was we probably have to trade one of our forwards to to get a defenseman, and if it's not going to be a younger forward like a captain or Janssen, you know, Kadri's the next logical choice. And and so I think that that was really where more the decision making factored in, and just the fact that the playoffs ended the way they did. You know, I think it makes it a little bit easier to justify because let's not make any mistake here. At the least they're giving up one of the better value contracts in the league. You know, probably one of the smartest thing uh, that that happened was when he had that t- that year where he just the shooting percentages were brutal. They signed him to a six year deal right after because he wasn't in a particularly strong bargaining position, and that's how they got him on the four and a half million dollar contract that that's made him so tradable today. I mean, what the Avalanche love about him is he's a no doubt second line center for them. He's not taking up much cap room. He does play with a bit of edge, you know. All the things that made him uh, a really good player for the Leafs for for a lot of seasons, and you know, this is just sort of cap mechanics that are forcing him out at this point in time. Probably even more than those suspensions. So, you know, I'm I'm with you. I think that his you know what should be remembered about him is he was a really good player. You know, people saw him grow up in front of their eyes. He got married last summer. He's about to become a father. He's come a long way from being. The little kid that they were calling fat at, at one point, point. and <laughs> yep. you know, I, I, I do think that he was one of the reasons that they they came out of that era that they were. I mean, he was he was good, and he was worth keeping for all those ten years. Uh,
1: Chris, we've talked a lot about what the player, what you know, what players left. We've over talked about what Nikita Zaitsev was and what you know, Chris, or sorry, um, uh, uh, Connor Brown was. Um, let's talk about the players that came in, starting with Tyson Berry. And we also want to talk about Spets and Shore and Kerfoot, but Tyson Berry's the big name yesterday. And Tyson well, Berry's a guy that's, I, I think
3: he's the answer to like a, a trivia question, right? We've been saying, who's this right D the you are going to get? Well, now you, you finally have your answer
1: and you get him at 2.75, I think like it's, it's half a, retained. It's ridiculous, uh, that they got that. Um, in your estimation, like for Leaf fans that that don't catch a lot of Colorado games, of which, sorry, there are many, um, what what do you see in Tyson Berry? What does he bring to this lineup? And, and what should we expect from him, good and bad?
3: Well, I think he's a better version of Jake Gardner, who happens to shoot the other way. So for all kinds of reasons, that, that fits in because, you know, at this point in time, despite what I said earlier, we have to assume Jake Gardner's leaving the Leafs. And so, you know, getting a defenseman who can put up 50 to 60 points, uh, as Jake has done, and as Tyson Berry has done, is a real benefit. I think that it's closer to the kind of hockey that Kyle Dubas uh, really wants to see the Leafs play, you know, pushing uh, the pace. You know, the way I envision it without knowing for sure is that you're seeing Berry start with, with Jake Muzzin and having Morgan Riley on a another pairing. And, and so, Really? I think by, he's right.
5: Wow. That's okay. assumption,
3: and so then you got... Really good puck movement from your top two pairings. You've obviously got two different defensemen that can lead a power play. You have that spoken for next season. I mean, this is this is a, a home run for the Leafs, which is not a criticism of, of Colorado. I think we could similarly understand why they were in a position to give up Barry and, and like how rebounds rebalanced with their lines. Well, this is a rebalancing of what the Leafs have needed on their blue line. And, and you know, I, I, I think that this guy is is going to be really, really good. Um, because he's motivated, too. I mean, you can look at it two ways. The downside is that he's only got one year and he's an unrestricted free agent. The upside is he's got a lot of incentive to, to have a home run of a season. He's going to be playing with talented players, and I think he's going to be getting the puck up into the forward's hands on a consistent level, much like we've seen Jake Gardner do it, but he's probably even better at doing it than Jake was.
1: I think he's right, man. Uh, about I'm, uh, I'm curious why you, both of you think, and, and why it would make sense, because a lot of people instantaneously go, well, it's got to be Riley Berry, right? So why, why put him with Jake Muzzin, and who do you put with Morgan Riley? Because there's only one puck.
5: <laughs> oh.
1: <laughs> there's only one puck. People were okay. posting...
2: Uh, uh, I can't remember which side it was. Oh, it was Daily face-off, And if Barry, uh, if Barry and Riley were to play together, they'd be one of the best top pairings in the league based on some sort of algorithm. There's one puck that they, they both moved the puck up. So my first thought was, oh, he's going to play with Muzzin, and Cece will probably p- play with Riley. Interesting. Unless
3: it's Dermot, right? Dermot, which... when he's healthy, I think will will do this. Riley, just just a feeling. I mean, the other thing too, Steve, is we know that Riley can produce positive results, and even strength with Morgan, or sorry, with Ron Hainsey attached to him. I mean, he, he doesn't need to be the kind of player that you give, that um, you, you, you basically spoon-feed spoon him a, a top-level partner. I think that Morgan can drive results, you know, even with, with maybe someone that's not as, as strong there. And then uh, Muzzin and, and Barry makes a lot of sense. I mean, Muzzin's pretty reliable guy. He can also move it. I mean, this the least blue line is going to look totally different next season, and that's not even knowing if there's further moves to come from our our conversation we're having now, but you know, this is uh, th- this is potentially the, the kind of thing you're pointing back at, going, you know, that a lot of things turned the day they made that trade.
1: Um, and then Alex Kerfoot. I mean, this guy is going to be, they say, potentially maybe the third-line center.
2: I was surprised he was in the deal, to be frank. Yeah,
1: I mean, it seems like there's there's some real value there. And I and again, because I don't think Leaf fans are staying up late unless you're one of the hardcore, like Steve. Uh, you're not staying up late and watching maybe the, the second game on Wednesday night because you have to go to bed and go to work in the morning. Uh, Alex Kerfoot, uh, the, the numbers on him are that he is a defensive center. And one of the things that people in the, you know, advanced stats community say usually to stay away from is these guys that are defensive specialists, because it just means a lot of the time they're just not good. In his case, that seems to be the opposite.
3: Well, because he's still put up 40 points in each of those years, which is not, you know, it's, it's not to be scoffed at when when he's producing a lot of even strength.
2: And on the wing.
3: Uh, <laughs> you know, not playing with, is you know, he wasn't playing up with McKinnon uh, too often in, in, in those those minutes. And so... You know, I, I think he's, his his upside as a player is less than, than what Kadri was in his prime, but the bet here is, you know, he's four years younger. Right. And, and so you're getting still a pretty young guy. Um, I don't see him being a 30-goal scorer in the league the way Naz has, has been twice. But, you know, filling in on a third line, it it makes a lot of sense that, that that's the sort of guy you have. I mean, remember, he's probably going to have good line mates. I mean, I'm thinking Trevor Moore, Kasperi Kapanen, just... <sighs> when when you're writing out the the Leafs trios, I mean, the the Leafs could be a real wagon with with this group. So, um, you know, I I, I like the move to get a younger guy. You know, obviously he's going to be a little cheaper, at least to start, than Nazem Kadri was. And, and, you know, he doesn't bring you the the high-end upside, but, you know, you're you're buying his prime a little bit more. And, you know, I think he'll be a a good fit. It, It might also pave the way, too, to... Having more minutes given to Tavares and, and Matthews, which I yes. think was much discussed. You know, part of the reason those guys maybe didn't play as many minutes as, as some people would like is, is that you know there was an effort there to keep Kadri engaged and involved, and you know he never complained once to my knowledge about it. But you know he took a real role uh, hit when when John Tavares signed here. I mean, it knocked him into a different uh, position on the team, and and you know, I think there's an argument to be made, even as good as he is, that you don't want him you don't want to be using him that way that it wasn't no. maybe the best way to be allocating the resources when you when you have a hard cap
2: and i was going to be number 2 behind nathan mckinnon wow uh, not <laughs> not so bad um so i i was you know obviously scouring twitter and watching people make all their their projections for next year and and there's one name that kept sticking out to me and the only reason he's on these lists is cuz we've been told he'll be there um Mikheyev, the signing out of the khl really Are we sure that that is going to be a thing? Because the Leafs have signed guys out of the KHL before who were in Madagascar by the end of October. Do you think he's going to make the team?
3: Uh, That's a tough one. I mean, he's probably going to start with the team. But whether he makes an impact or not, I think, is a very open question. I mean, what's good at this point in time is I don't see any reason at all why he would be starting above the fourth line. And, And so... You know, can he be a fourth liner? Probably. You know, KHL's a real league, and and he's put up some some numbers there. Uh, he's been you know an established player over there. But you know, I, I don't know that he's going to be anything you're getting that excited about. You know, I, I would guess that he's coming more along the the Parlin home, mm-hmm. uh, Miro Alton in school than than. Oh. Is obviously not Artemi Panarin coming over as he did many years ago to Chicago. I mean, but you know, from what I've heard, he's he's a decent player. Maybe not the, the swiftest skater. And, you know, if he's on your fourth line, I, don't, I certainly don't think it's the end of the world. But, you know, I, I don't know that we should be hyping him too much either because there's just a lot of unknowns with, with you know, how he'll he'll transition, whether he can make that much of an impact. And, and you know, I, I, I still think it's a good signing. I think all these guys are worth the risk, for one. And secondly, they become assets. I mean, Callie Rosen was just traded uh, to Colorado, and, and I'm – Confident he would have been playing NHL games with the Leafs next year, uh, had he had he been kept in the organization. I mean, it, it wasn't bad to have him, and he's a, an example of someone else they signed as a, a European free agent. It wasn't bad to have him in the organization these last couple of years, uh, and and you can trade him for something. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's uh, you know it's the same way they turned Lindholm into Nick Patan. Who knows what Patan will be, but he's he's not that far removed from being a pretty high pick. He's been on a World Junior team. He's got some skill you know the the Leafs to me are smart uh, by trying to bring these guys over and seeing what they have in them and the truth is a uh, Maccavee we're not going to really know until we see them play some some real games in September and October.
1: So the real question for me here Chris and and when I, in seeing what we saw yesterday obviously Jason Spetz's name comes up Nick Shore's name comes up uh, Nick Batan's name comes up. All different players. Kenny Agostino. Uh, Kenny Agostino as well. And we could talk about the players, but I think the makeup of the lineup is what's interesting. You know, Justin Bourne wrote today in The Athletic about, you know, the Leafs really are truly doubling down on skill. This is one of the the, the only teams that we've ever seen that's like, no, not only, we're going to drop all these other guys. And despite our coach and last year the assistant coaches' uh, protestations, we are going for this. This is the style we are playing. And with Spezza, with Shore, with Agostino, with Patan, and with the way Mike Babcock complained about guys like Patan last year and how he didn't have depth in the lineup, or, you know, we need to have, you know, more depth, which was a comment he made, which was, you know, he later said didn't mean he didn't mean it to be passive-aggressive, but it sure <laughs> looked like that at the time. Um, you know, I, I, I'm wondering, how is Mike Babcock going to take this lineup and how is he going to use them because even even with cadre gone and with tyson berry in and with alex kerfoot in he can't he can't pretend and he can't continue to use the lines equally the way he did last year and he can't try to make them play a grinding style because that's not what they do is mike Babcock open to this system is this something he's gonna is, is he gonna buy in
3: well, he doesn't have a choice that I see. I mean, you know, I, I know there's the age gap and there's the stature gap and all that, but, I mean, Kyle Dubas is his boss. And the, the, the boss, along with the, the front office, makes the team, and it's the coach's job to, to use them. I, I would say that this will probably be the story of the early part of the year, one way or another, with the lease is, is how this group is deployed, uh, you know, probably reading between the lines of, of the things Mike says in his daily press briefings because, you know, that's been part of the discussion Uh, already with him and and just seeing you know how much he does buy in you know i I think he wants to be the coach of the team and i still think it should be a pretty good team but you know does he get away maybe from some of the hard line matching that 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 he's been fond of in in the past i mean maybe that 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 to me is probably the best thing you can have if, if you have four really good lines is that you don't have to worry so much within games you know at times when your fourth line ends up against the first line on the other team you're not Scrambling on the bench. I mean, that's the way Bruce Cassidy was handling the Bruins through much of the playoffs. I covered their run from start to finish. You know, I I, I don't know how much will change, but uh, he's famous for talking about first of all how you've got to change every year. You've got to be a better version of yourself. And you know, this is even from a year ago a less physical lineup. And I don't think we would have called the Leafs physical, but th- this is not a a team we expect to be finishing many checks. I mean, really outside mm-hmm. of. Jake Muzzin, who we saw throw some some pretty big ones after the trade from Los Angeles last year. You know, there's just not many guys on this team that are known for that. And I don't think that, that Kyle Dubas is going to change his mind on August 20th and sign a bruiser late late in the summer or anything like that. I'm guessing this will be the makeup, basically, of the team. And And so, you know, I think that there's a lot on Mike Babcock's shoulders to embrace it to find a way to, to get the most out of it, because ultimately that's every coach's job in, in simple terms is to take the players you're given and, and get the most out of them as a group.
1: My fear here as a fan, and I think Steve and Jesse and most Leaf Nation's fan will will back me up on this. Obviously the Leafs got rid of their entire third line from last year. Brown, Kadri, Marlowe are gone. But the issue becomes how, how they were used, how Freddie the Goat was used, and I'm concerned that, and I'm going to throw it all the way back to Detroit here, that Alex Kerfoot becomes just an abdicator and gets 20 minutes a night, and I'm I you know <laughs> like that that is a genuine I think concern for Leafs fans, and it should be a concern for Leafs management as much as you said it right. Like I mean, if you could Trevor Moore, Alex Kerfoot, and Kasperi Kapanen. Uh, flying around and uh, taking third line minutes, you could do worse. The problem is, what happens when they start getting second and first line minutes? Because they, you know, the Leafs took too many penalties that game, and all of a sudden they're up in Leo Komarov, twenty-two, twenty-three minutes a night territory. Man, even well, I don't think that'll like. Matter. Is this is this a well? <laughs> you're <I'm> really making <laughs> a doomsday scenario. For well, five. right. But I mean, that we've seen night. it. We've seen it. That's the thing. I, this is something we've seen before with this coach. And if he doesn't buy in, what is the recourse? Like, if in December you're on this show, you've walked over from your apartment because you're a gem, uh, <laughs> and you're sitting in this room with us and we're talking about this, and you and we say like this ice time thing is still an issue, still not using this team the way it should be. Is Mike Babcock still the head coach?
3: well, this will be the season where his job becomes on the line if things go wrong. I mean, I I don't think there's any question about that. You know, there was more than a little smoke gathering at the end of the year that uh, things were not all rosy, you know, among that, that relationship with Kyle Dubas. I think in terms of management's faith in him as a coach, ultimately they've chosen to bring him back, but you know, they've also retained uh, Sheldon Keith with with the Toronto Marlies. And, and, Further to that, they hired Dave Haxdall to be one of his assistants who coached last year in the last few years is with the Philadelphia Flyers, which, you know, to me at minimum it just suggests he could be in a short term, interim kind of situation because he's someone who's handled that, that kind of job in the past. And so, you know, I think that there's a lot of pressure on Mike Babcock this year, uh, no matter what the lineup looks like, to to have a strong season, to show some signs of change, to strengthen his relationship with Kyle Dubas and and Buy in on on some level a little bit more, you know. It, it showed up at a few notable moments last year. I mean, I, I can tell you that probably the most surprised I was all season, and, and, and I'm around the league pretty much on a daily basis, was that they made the trade for for Muzzin during their All Star break slash bye week. You know, there's a couple of days of anticipation before it. They had the first practice back from the bye week in uh, in Detroit, suburban Detroit, and <laughs> there was like a real there was a real buzz around the team. I mean, Morgan Riley was giddy. He was telling a story about how his mom told him about the trade and they were immediately logging on NHL.com to figure out where it would all fit and how excited he was. And then Mike Babcock comes out and says, wow, you know, it's not perfect or something. Yeah. Yeah. it, it, It felt like he had the, like he had the tack and he was bursting the balloon a little bit. And, you know, there was a similar, although it's not the same thing, but with Nick Patan, you know, he got into a game in Vancouver, his hometown, played as a center that night. And, and you know, after that game, Mike Babcock made a comment about, you know, having too small a fourth line. You know, I, I just think that some of that stuff will, will should be mute, more muted this year, I would think. Maybe presenting a more united front, even if, you know, everything behind the scenes. I don't think with any team, to be fair, there's there's a natural tension between management and coaching staff. I mean, that's, that exists in all 31 markets. It's just, you know, we, we really got some insight into it last year because, you know, it's something Mike Babcock would talk about sometimes without even being asked. So, right. Um, you know, I, this is going to be, it's going to be a fascinating season uh, <laughs> because clearly the way last year was, but this is win or bust for the Leafs. I mean, um, you know, even getting to the second round, which I'm sure would excite people, but if they get to the second round and lose, you know, it's still not going to be seen as a positive. It, They've really got a five-year cup window starting this this coming season. Basically, in my mind, the length of Matthews' contract. It obviously could be extended beyond that, but it involves a lot of assumptions that we can't make today. But whether he'll stay, what the number will be, what's going to happen, and so every year is really important right now. I think that they're they're borrowing that from the Raptors a little bit uh, with the the Kawhi Leonard trade. And, and you know, it's not to say that, that Tyson Berry is anyway viewed by them as important as Kawhi Leonard was to the Raptors, but. You know, I think the Leafs are more willing to make that kind of trade because they recognize the value in, in even just having him for one season, what it could do for their fortunes, what that would mean. And, and I think that they're in a little bit more of a risk-taker's mindset, and I think that that would extend um, to even Mike Babcock if things weren't going well for whatever reason, that you know his job is not guaranteed for another season, even though he's still got a couple of years left on his deal.
2: Thank you, Masai Ujiri. Um, (laughs) I feel like none of us are talking about the fact that the fired Flyers head coach is now in charge of the Leafs' defense. And he was not.
1: They weren't particularly great on defense when he was the Flyers' head coach, which is why he was fired.
2: No, they weren't at all. Uh, What do you make of the Dave
3: Haxtell signing? I don't really mind it, to be honest. I mean, I don't think it's as simple as you can look at his last defense and say... You know, so much of that is based on personnel and other things. You know, to me, he's he's a real thoughtful guy, Dave Haxtell. You know, One of the things he did after he was fired in Philadelphia is he went over to Sweden and spent a week behind the scenes with the Swedish national program to, to steal best practices from them. I mean, I, I think he's, you know, much like Paul McFarlane, their other uh, assistant coach hired this offseason. You know, there's evidence here of maybe a little bit different of a thinker, someone that can... Can challenge Mike Babcock behind the scenes, which is ultimately what you want from your coaching staff. That you know everyone's ideas are kind of going into the mix, and and you know I, I do like that, that he's been there before, just as a bit of a voice for for the head coach here. That that he'll see things and understand things, having served as a head coach before. Which remember in the NHL level, DJ Smith and and uh, uh, help me out uh, with the other assistants. Uh, I can see the guy, Jim Hiller. Jim Hiller in a way that they didn't, you know, I, I just, I, I think a new mix is good for that coaching staff. At least previous staff was together for four years, I believe, uh, which is a long time not to at least have a change in the assistant ranks. And and so, you know, I, I think that this, this will be a good thing, but, you know, the problem with an assistant coach and, and there's more with this with the hockey team, but I'm not entirely sure what they do. And, and you don't really get a window into that, even being around the team that they're kept separate from the media. Um, you know, I think it's most important, uh, thing actually will probably be the penalty kill uh, because that's that's an area that's hurt the Leafs in my estimation in the playoffs the last few years and you know I, I expect that'll be under his purview and and I think that that's where we'll we'll get the truest gauge on on, on you know how effective he is and, and how much he's helped in the coaching staff as a whole.
1: Okay, well, we've waited and we've waited and we've waited and we've taken up too much of your time so this is going to be the last question. Okay, Chris. Oh. I'm sorry that we have to ask you this. But <laughs> there's a player who, it was suggested many times by a member of the media. And don't worry, we don't need to name him. Everybody knows that he would get, he'd be getting that offer sheet. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It can happen. Now it could still happen, but this guy suggested 13 or 14 million, and at that point you were like, "I'll eat my own shoe if that happens." I we, know. I kind of regret saying. That. <laughs> well, we're just saying we put the invitation out there last show. If. If Mitch Marner does get a $14 million or $13 million offer sheet, you're welcome to come eat your shoe on our show. We would love to live stream that. I think it'd be fun. Mm -hmm.
3: I can think of no better place to do that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. Consider that invitation accepted then. Uh, But Chris, where do we stand with Mitch Marner, and I say we, where do Leafs' nation stand? I mean, obviously, there's been a lot of negotiation done through the press. Darren Ferris has a playbook. It's rile up the fans against the team. It hasn't really worked. A lot of people seem to be turning on Mitch like Marner and his camp. Um, where where do the Leafs stand? Sebastian Aho obviously signs for, you know, nine, nine and a half. Um, you know, what's the number? How does this end?
3: Well, I think the Ajo contract helps the Leafs, honestly, eight and a half. When you look at a guy, I think he had 83 points last year, Mitch. Yeah. 93, but you know that, that that's a favorable comparison to the Leafs compared to some of the numbers we're hearing. You know, my gut feel on this is, is that we're still going to be talking about it in September,
5: mm-hmm.
3: and that the true deadline here is probably the start of the season, give or take a few days. Uh, you know, I hope that's not the case. It's not really. I think we're all kind of tired of of the contract uh, soap opera that that's sort of been never-ending in Toronto. But, you know, I just feel that that's the most likely outcome. You know, I I've still maintain that I think an offer sheet is unlikely. Uh, the Leafs are in a great position to match it, which is probably the best bit of work they've done, you know, in, in this, this last 10 days is, is that they put themselves in a position where they kept Kapanen and that They've remade the defense. They've, they've made some moves. I like their depth signings. You know, I like getting Spets at 700000 I think we didn't talk about him at all, but having a right-shot centerman, is useful for for draws on a certain side of the ice, you know, late in a game, for example. With it, they were using Zach Hyman a lot in that position. Yeah. You know, I, I think I like what they've done this offseason with with difficult uh, situation, just in terms of their cap space. They've 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 made improvements with only giving up a first round pick and and Nazem Kadri, which isn't nothing. I don't don't mean to dismiss that, but I don't think it's hurt their chances too much to compete, and yet they're also in a great spot to sign Mitch. So. I, I'm guessing the contract, I've been on record for this, is somewhere around $10 million AAV. I, I think a six-year term makes sense for the player and the team uh, at some point when there's a give-and-take and they truly get to negotiating. And is that not what's happening
1: right now? Is there just no give-and-take?
3: I don't think so. You know, it, it doesn't seem like there's really been a whole lot of talk. I mean, hmm. it's, not, it's not to mean they're not in touch. It's just, I don't I don't sense, you know, negotiators tend to sort of signal the other negotiator when they're ready to make a deal. I don't think there's any urgency right now, especially from the Marner side. I mean, obviously they wanted to, to have the conversations they can have in restricted free agency. They might still get their offer sheet. I mean, maybe I'm eating my shoe in two weeks on your show.
1: It'd be a fun, it'd be a fun episode.
3: But I, I just, <laughs> I don't think it makes sense, and it's not even a slight on Mitch Marner. I just don't know how. You know, Artemi Panarin was a true free agent and one of the better free agents we've seen. You know. It, that that's a, a high end guy. He doesn't even get thirteen million on the open market. I mean, no. who's going to pay Mitch Marr thirteen million? I realize he's younger. You're buying his prime as opposed to the older years, the way the Rangers got with Canarin. But who's going to pay him thirteen million and give up four first round picks? I mean, it's just so punitive to teams that you know. I think the system has to change if we're going to see offer sheets. Or or I think teams have to almost readjust and and go after the mid tier players. You know, to me, that makes sense. There was probably a number you could get Caspery captain on an offer sheet where the lease would say, do you know what, not worth it for us to do that. It's going to, you know, have a ripple effect on our team. We'll take the draft pick or draft picks. Um, but I just don't see a star player like Marner getting that offer sheet. And so once that becomes, kind of sinks into everyone's mind, and once that possibility is, is totally removed from the air, you know, it's up to Kyle Dubas and Darren Ferris and, and the Marner family to, to find a solution here, and and usually you need a deadline for those kind of solutions when the sides are dug in, and to me that deadline is not having him in camp and not having him for the first exhibition game, and then ultimately the regular season. Does Mitch Marner want to miss regular season games given what he saw happen to his teammate, given the Leafs cap picture, all those things? And I'm guessing a deal gets done on or about October 1st. Wow. All (laughs) right. We okay. On, I'll tell you Long this. summer. I'll, I'll eat. I'll eat something tastier than a shoe if it gets done in the meantime. Because <laughs> then we don't have to talk about it. And, and the beauty for, of this contract, once it's done, I mean, there'll, there'll always be some contract coming due. But the Leafs really have the core of their team locked in at that point uh, for for a stretch of years, and and the focus then goes a lot more to other things other than the, the contractual status of the players. CJ,
2: you can come on this show and have yeah. a hot, fresh Panago pizza. Yes,
3: you can. <laughs> oh, man, I love
1: pizza. <laughs> well, you'll love the Panago options that are available mm-hmm. to you. Um, <laughs> Chris, uh, thank you so much. Uh, all right, I can't... so
3: if my shoe if it's a $13 million offer sheet. Right. And if Marner just signs, I'm coming in and we're going to do a show and we're going to have some pizza. Your yes. choice. And, and choice Crown Royal.
1: Fun. And Crown Royal, yeah, if you yeah. want. Uh, now,
3: now, Chris... We're all walking.
1: Uh, I just... Just a quick one one part of the calendar that we didn't get set uh, before you go, because we know you're basically going for the summer. At what point does Darren Ferris come out and say Mitch Martyr's looking at KHL options? I just want to know when that comes up on the calendar. Uh, that'll be right around September 10th. OK, perfect. Great. Thank you. Chris <laughs> Johnson. <laughs> just please. before training camp. There's a playbook. <laughs> at Reporter Chris on Twitter. But you already knew that because if you're not following him, what are you not what are you doing with your life? uh chris we love you we so appreciate you thank you for making time for us today
3: yeah this was great and uh i'm glad that steve can breathe i was really worried about him (laughs) i even had separate correspondence with mrs dangle over the weekend i was told that's that's funny
1: i was told was she was she genuinely concerned for your health
2: oh yeah Uh, every now and then and i and i assume cj uh did something along this line they approach Mrs. Dangle and they go, "Is he really?" And she goes, "Yes."
1: <laughs> I had a high-ranking member of the Leafs organization ask me that. Actually, actually, and and then uh, and and was I it said, "Shanahan?" Uh, no, it wasn't Shan. I think Shanahan knows. I don't think he would ask me, but there was somebody else, and uh, and I said yes, and uh, and they said, "Okay, all right." And they're like, "But he's like cool otherwise." I'm like, "Oh yeah, totally great." Oh, when, when I <laughs>
2: when I spoke to Shanahan at NB, NBA Finals Media Day. He didn't, not a big ex- do. He, he, <laughs> nah, You know, right? Yeah. Not, not to flex on all of you, know, but, <laughs> but the, the, reason, uh, the reason he said yes to that wasn't because he felt obligated to. It's because he saw someone he couldn't outrun. <laughs> there's, there's no way I wasn't talking to Brendan Shanahan the second we locked eyes. Uh, CJ, go have a nap.
1: Yeah, buddy. Thank you. All right, guys. Have a good one. Take care, buddy. Love you. So I, I do have to ask, Steve. Like, okay... Yeah, I also
5: want to ask a Mitch Marner question. Okay,
1: no, here's here's the thing. For me, and I don't know if this feels the same for both of you. Mm. For me, it feels like I don't care as much because I feel like the Leafs are like Mitch Marner is a valuable, extremely valuable member of this team. But I look at the team as it stands, and they're still really good. Oh yeah, and it's like. I, you know, and I felt that. I guess with Neilander it was all new. It was the the anxiety was new. Now I got like I got other things to distract me. You know, than Mitch Marner, right? Like if 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 he's gonna is, pull,
2: I mean, we is it because his... of Tyson Berry or your kid? Maybe it's both.
5: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's both. So you're Baron Laris and you're Zarin, Wareis, Mall Partner. You're... <laughs> Oh so you guys... Boy, did I not I'm know I'm Parner
1: that.
5: <laughs> wow. I you have to come to me mm-hmm. and you have to tell me how Mitch Marner deserves more money than a center who scores more goals and plays a better a higher role on his team. Well I say the
1: comparables don't matter. That's what they've been saying, anyway. And I say no, that's entirely how this works. Right. Well, here's the problem now. Because if I'm Mall Parner. Uh, I'm not actually the agent, but what I'm ta- saying to the agent is, well, the comparisons don't matter. Keep repeating that message. The thing is, is that the, a restricted free agent only has um, leverage in a situation where a team's desperate. Sebastian Ajo has far more leverage over the Carolina Hurricanes than, than, than the Marner's and the Marner camp have over the Leafs, because the Leafs are already very, very good. Mm-hmm. And if you look at Nylander and Marner for their first two seasons, they're almost on the same track. Pretty darn and so, close. So then you could so you can make the argument that maybe Nylander's not the player Marner is and I would agree with you. Yes. But you could also say Nylander is far better than what we saw last year. So and and the Leafs yes. are far more balanced and I think a better team, quite frankly, than they were. Yes. So you look at the Leafs and you go, okay, so now Mitch Marner to me has less uh leverage than, uh, than even William Nylander did. And because that offer sheet is not coming, I mean, like, they know it now. Now it's out there. The offer sheet is not coming. Who's going to do it? Well, here, can I, can so, I be... What, so what, Sebastian where, where Aho. in Veris?
5: You're going to be... Yes, Warren Laris. wearing Laris. So Larris. Sebastian Aho makes 8.4. Mitch Marner is asking for 2 million more than that.
2: You're asking my client to sign for less than what he's worth? I'm, no, you're, I'm asking you to
5: sign for what you're worth. You're, you're and the market is set around 8.4. We both right know now. my
2: client is, is worth a lot more than that. You're, you're asking my client to dive in front of a contract that says he is not worth what he is worth? He is not willing to dive in front of that. I'll tell you what he is willing to dive in front of a puck with his face in game three against the Boston Bruins. I'll tell you what he's willing to dive in front of Zedano Chara. Jake Muzzin, back when he was on the king. some of the hardest hitters in the league, he is willing to dive in front of them. He is willing to crash the net, he is willing to pretend that his broken stick is not broken, and then drop it when the puck goes the other way, and skate by the bench and get a stick from the uh, uh, equipment manager, and then set up, set up John Tavares 47 times! That's what he is willing to do. <laughs> and if an offer sheet does not come his way, We'll take our talents to the KHL. We'll go to Mitchellurg, Martin Niedegorsk, and just <laughs> form our own new KHL team, and we'll we'll have a life outside of the Toronto Maple Leafs. You want, you want my client to sign for less than he is worth, you make me sick. Ask if the beating heart of the Toronto Maple Leafs should sign for less than what he's worth. Can I throw this out there too? What? Remember when Darren Laris is on a tear right uh, now? Remember Adam? when
1: Darren Ferris called the Matthews contract a bad contract? And it was! Ha- and now he wants the same contract for his client? Yes, because <laughs> Austin Matthews, the thing about his
2: name is it's not Mitchell Marner. <laughs>
5: That that's is factual what? information. It's it is
2: right. factual. Jesse, that's all I do. All right, all right. Now we, so, we, we I spit what I
1: talk because all I do is spit fast. Okay, now we got to call Eric Angles here. Get a spit screen because we do need to talk about the. Larris- Sorry. we need to talk about the one offer sheet that was actually made. The phony offer sheet. Yeah, it is kind of baloney. Yeah. I wonder. If, ah, I've got a couple questions about this. Let's get uh, Eric on the phone. We had to stack this show with other people who knew stuff, because I felt like it would be <laughs> completely unfair of us to co- to come at this show and just the three of us yammer yeah, on, because really, honestly, when it comes to days like we've had in the last 48 hours, you need to go to the experts, and one of the most exciting things that happened in the NHL, everybody knows it, Montreal offer shooting Sebastian Aho, and here's the guy who's most tired about talking about it. <laughs> Eric Engels from Sportsnet. Eric, thanks so much for coming on, man. We really appreciate it.
4: I'm not too tired yet. It's all good. Okay, yeah.
1: he he agreed to it. Screw him. So, I mean, obviously, when the offer sheet is is made, I like everybody's like, "Yes, finally, someone did it. Finally, someone did it." Something, but there seems to be a, and I I hesitate to use this term, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but there seemed to be a bit of a calculated toothlessness to this because it was really. It seemed like the Montreal Canadiens were testing Tom Dundon personally to say, will you really pay $11.3 million this weekend to Sebastian Ajo? You really want to do that? Um, And and obviously Sebastian signed the contract to come to Montreal. Carolina is now matched. Uh, What are your thoughts on how Montreal structured this initial offer to Sebastian Ajo? And was it actually meant to succeed or was it meant to just send a message?
4: Well, I think in their minds, if they had gone to another tier and offered a, a higher compensation for him, um, it, you know, it, 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 it wasn't really going to make that much of a difference for Carolina. The big gamble that they took was that the signing bonuses in the first 12 months of the contract, equaling $21.17 million, uh, was going to be so unpalatable that it would force them into a difficult decision and potentially. That they would take the compensation and and not match the offer. Um, if they had gone to that next tier and put in a higher offer on AHO, um, could it have changed things? Uh, from the signing bonus perspective, you're talking about an extra three or four million bucks up front right away. Um, from a salary perspective, you're talking about you know an extra ten million bucks throughout the deal, or however much money it would end up being. I think the Canadians really felt that they were comfortable with the number they put forth for Ajo, uh, he was comfortable with it, he signed it, and uh, they were really just, just going on that bet that potentially Tom Dundon wouldn't want to pay that money up front. Um, now we have the answer, so uh, everything else is still a possibility.
2: And it got matched. So now what? And I, and I already know your answer. Uh, so it's definitely going to be another offer sheet, right? Or is it going to be someone else, Eric?
4: Yeah, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't really see them going down that road. Although I've learned in the last forty-eight hours, it's uh, not necessarily the best idea to try to handicap what Mark Bergman is going to do. Because I would have told you prior to free agency opening that I thought there was. About a one percent chance he would throw an offer sheet at anybody. I don't suspect he'll go down that road again. Um, I think what what he said in the past about offer sheets uh, and paying top end compensation for, say, a guy like Mitch Marner or Braden Point, uh, it being upwards of the money you have to spend him, and also spend on him, and also the the four first round picks you'd have to give up uh, at that highest threshold. Um, I just don't think he he values the the risk in that type of decision. So I don't see him going down that road. I won't discount it as a possibility, um, but I'd be really surprised. And, you know, at the end of the day, the Canadians didn't have a desperate needed center. Sure, they, they, you know, targeted Matt Duchesne, and they targeted Sebastian Ajo, and their team becomes a better team with either one of those players on it. Um, But they have depth at center that they haven't had in decades, and Yasperi Kakanyemi and Max Domi and Ryan Paling and Phil Deneau in um, Jordan Wheel, uh, and go down the list, Nick Suzuki, who's on his way up. It wasn't such a desperate need that if they didn't get Aho, they absolutely have to have a center. It doesn't mean they won't look to find one through other means, potentially through trade, um, but I still feel the biggest need they have is on left defense, and the biggest target on the market is Jake Gardner for that, and he's still available. So right. I'm curious I'm curious to see where the Canadians go next as much as anybody else is, and I would suspect that they're not by any means done with the amount of cash space they have and with 23 players signed to their roster.
2: Have you heard anything on the Gardner front? Because you've been beating this drum for a little bit, uh, and CJ keeps coming on our show and talking about how there is still a possibility Gardner comes back to the Leafs, presumably for uh, free as an intern, I think. <laughs> and I, I don't understand how that's going to work. So have you actually heard anything on the Gardner front?
3: Um, I
4: have. Uh, I've spoken to some sources uh, and, and, and did today. Um, I think CJ is right about that. I think, you know, Jake Gardner would like to remain in Toronto. I think Toronto would like to keep him. Um, but that said, it, even if they move a contract or two out or or do some creative work, which Kyle Dubas is certainly capable of, um, he'd be signing at a considerable discount, I believe, to what he could generate on the market. All that said, one of the other things that you know I discovered today is that the term for that Jake Gardner was hoping to get on the open market versus staying with the Leafs um, is not quite there right now on offer. That might've changed in the last number of hours. Um, I know that the Canadians were a team that expressed interest into him. They definitely reached out to his agents, Pat Brisson and J.P. Barry. Um, Where they stand in that dossier right now is, is not an entire mystery, but it's, it's not something that, I can say, with any uh, certainty where they stand. So it's, it's, it's compelling, it's interesting. I'm not sure what they're going to do on that front, but I can't think of a better player for them to add to address what is their most pressing need, not even through trade, because they'd be giving up assets to get players that have similar deficiencies to the ones that Gardner has. So Shane Gossespierre is a name that we know that the Canadians inquired on, um, T.J. Brody in Calgary uh, Nick Letty in New York those are names that you know they were rumored to be pursuing um, all those players are good players uh, but they also have the same issues that Gardner has been accused of having in Toronto for years and you'd have to give up assets to get them and pay them So it's, it's, uh, in my mind if I were the GM of the Canadians I would pursue Jake Gardner and pursue him heavily and potentially get him done for for a deal that might be worth more than what anybody else is willing to pay for him. Um, but I don't run the Canadians, and uh, <laughs> just like you, have to wait and see what they're going to do. So
2: I think uh, you know Mark Bergevant After you know we hammered him a little bit in the whole PK for Weber uh, saga there, but I actually think he's had a really good past he couple is, years. His,
1: his last twenty four months are pretty great.
2: Yeah, seriously. Um, and we also know that. Ownership gets involved in certain teams moves. I know Jeff Molson and Bergevin have talked before I think that was a widely publicized reason why PK wasn't traded sooner. At what point after the past couple summers Does Jeff Molson just go to Bergevin and go, dude, spend my money (laughs) Because uh, there's a certain Habs fan in the office at Sportsnet who said, hey, we signed him again, and it was just a Habs jersey with cap space on the back. <laughs> like, at some point, they have a good team. At, at what point do they go, dude, I don't care who it is, I don't care what you give them, spend my money, please?
4: Well, at no point is that going to be the case. Um, huh? They are not looking to just frivolously spend on just anyone, just mm-hmm. for the sake of spending the money. Um, they're in a good position in terms of what they embarked on in a reset in the summer of 2017, they have built what is, by consensus, a top five prospect pool, if not the best prospect pool in hockey. Um, they've got some really good, talented players on their way, and the depth of the pool, uh, with the picks that they've made in the last two, two, three years, uh, is 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 very considerable. So, you know, with a with a roster that finished with 96 points last year, minus Andrew Shaw and Nicolas Delorier, who went in. Cap-clearing moves to prepare for whatever else the Canadians had planned. Originally, the Aho offer sheet. Um, you know, they're they're not in a desperate position to spend this money. All that said, Kerry Price is 32 years old, yeah, uh, or about to be. Shea Weber is 34 years old. Um, they clearly have an intention to make this roster better before next season. Uh, that I think is clear based on what they did yesterday with Aho. And, um, you know, all the possibilities for them, well, not all of them. Some of them have have now been thrown out. But many possibilities still exist for them to improve their roster considerably.
1: Interesting. Boy, I mean, it's it's so fun to watch because any team with cap space, to me anyway, is like they're just the most fun teams. And you've got a lot of teams... Carolina, St- Carolina, Columbus, uh, Florida's got a lot of space still, even after the Strawman and Bobrovsky deals. And you kind of, you kind of go like any team with major cap space is going to be fun to watch because you just don't know what they could do. I wonder, you know, Eric. There's a, uh, there's a lot of uh, noise out of, um, um, out of Vegas about uh, their cap situation, and apparently they can't get Nikita Gusev under contract because he wants four million a year for two years. Uh, The David Clarkson deal is nearing its end. Montreal's got the money to pay it. Is that an option for them? And obviously, you know, you said defense is a bit of an issue for them. Uh, But, you know, would it be worth it for them to use some of that cap space? I mean, you could probably do this with Gardner and still do the Gusev deal, where you take on Clarkson's deal, you put him on LTIR, you grab a guy like Gusev who could be found money, it could be nothing. Uh, but you basically are able to grab a guy who could score you 40 to 50 points for basically nothing. Is that something that Montreal looks at with their cap space?
4: Yeah, I think they're exploring every opportunity and certainly uh, exploring ways to weaponize their cap space in, in a way they did last year where they acquired Joel Armia from Winnipeg um, for taking on Steve Mason's $5 million cap hit and then buying him out. Um It's one of those things that, with the space they have, uh, they've been interested in doing. Though, when Bergman was asked about that around the draft, he said that the opportunities hadn't really presented themselves. Hmm. Will they present themselves now that $700 million has been spent in the marketplace and teams are up against it and potentially looking to make other moves? Um, For sure, something that he's got to be out there looking at. Um, You know, one of the interesting scenarios and uh, kind of touched on this in my latest column at Sportsnet, um, was presented by Elliot Friedman on Sunday, where he basically said he wonders if the Canadians would look at taking Kyle Turris from Nashville, since they'll be looking to clear some space after signing Matthew Shane. Um, Turris is an interesting player, if only for the fact that he had a very down year last year after two seasons of 50-plus points and topping out at 64 points a couple of seasons before that. Uh, he's got five years left on his deal at $6 million, if I'm not mistaken, as an AAV. No signing bonus in that deal, by the way, just so you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Could that be a team that they look at and say, hey, we'll take the entirety of Turris' contract and we'll take Turris uh, because they're clearly targeting centers, uh, and and potentially you could throw in a left-hand defenseman that can help us either now or down the line. So. We know they just acquired two of them in the P.K. Subban deal, one of them a Montreal native and Jeremy Davies. Um, you know, it, it was speculation from Elliot in that column, and it's speculation for me that it's something they could explore. Um, but since we're talking about it and how to weaponize their cap space, that would be one way, right?
1: It could be. What about a Patrick Line? Like, Winnipeg's still well, in trouble. Like, we're not talking about it enough. I mean, they're they're really up against it. And there has to be something that moves out of there.
4: Yeah, I mean, again, I, I, I think when you look at some of the other RFAs that were targets for offer sheets, a lot of them are at that very top end where you'd have to give up. You'd have to make the compensation so high that the other team really would have to take it instead of matching. And... I you know in speaking with Mark Bergeman at the beginning of last year we sat down for an hour and I just asked him his whole opinion on this and he just explained that in the in the parity the of the league doesn't allow a team to really take on the full weight of that risk because you can acquire a player who you think fits well with your team and all of a sudden they don't fit well or they get injured and somebody else gets injured and you finish in just out of the playoffs and then all of a sudden the lottery comes around and you go well, your first-round pick that you're giving up uh, in the deal goes from 13th overall to 2nd overall. It, it's a lot of risk to take on on top of spending such a high percentage of your cap on one single player. So I think that's part of the reason why the structure of the AHO offer sheet wasn't at that max end and wasn't sacrificing extra picks and, and, and extra high-end picks. Um, because they don't believe Bergermain considers that to be a real thing he'd consider doing.
2: Wow. You, you know what? Okay. <laughs> we we talk about offer sheets, and the, and that's all well and good. Uh, Montreal is in the middle, they're in the middle of a drought right now, and it's been multiple years, so let me just ask you plainly. Is this the year Victor Mete finally scores a goal?
4: <laughs> yes, yeah, uh, we're not, we're... Not really concerned about that. Victor Mete, you know, <laughs> does all those does does all those great things. It's, you know, it's become a, a running joke, certainly within the core, Canadians organization, where they had a bet going amongst the players when he'd get his first goal. Um, <laughs> I'm not worried about his offensive production, and I would also add that he's a player that's been highly underestimated in terms of what he does in his own zone. Very, very excellent defensive defenseman, and has the speed and the puck moving ability to be an offensive contributor. He's working very strongly on his shot um, with a skills coach that works with Brendan Gallagher and helped him become a 30-goal scorer in the league. And as he gets stronger and, and a little bit older and a little more mature with more experience, um, he won't just score one. I think he'll score many. So great player uh, and, and a developing player and one of the ones in Montreal that they should be really excited about. Especially considering what he's done already as a former fourth round pick and such a young player in the NHL.
2: No and, kidding. Andy's gonna play behind Jake Gardner. So. That's
1: right. <laughs> um uh Eric, it's it's a pleasure as always. And if I've gotta ask one last question before we go. Montreal, are they a playoff team finally this year?
4: I'll tell you in October.
1: Okay. <laughs> okay. All right.
4: Let's see let's see, what, let's see what they do between now and then. Right now they're a team that was right on the the bubble and easily could have made it. They finished, what was it, four points behind the Leafs? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not like they're incapable of doing it, but l- let's be honest now that Andrew Shaw has been removed from the equation, a player that scored, if I'm not mistaken, 52 points for them last year, um, you know, it's hard to argue that their roster is better than the one that finished the season. So they've got a boatload of cap space, they have options in front of them. Let's see what they do before I make any uh, type of statements that I'll get in trouble for.
1: Love it. Eric, we will be checking back in with you on that, okay? Okay. All right. Hey, thanks so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Eric Angles, sportsnet.ca. Uh, new post is up today, so check that out. And, uh, and Eric, if we don't talk to you all summer, have a great one. Steve, Want you want to add something?
2: I, I just want to end with this. Can you tell everyone what offer sheet in French is?
4: Yeah, it's offre hostile. Whoever came up with the term really got it right. Oh, cause... yeah. Hostile offer. I love it. Hostile offer is a much more fitting term than offer she, which was basically, you know, lawyer talk, CBA lingo. <laughs> yeah. Um, whoever, whoever nailed that one down, I want to say it was Yvonne Petnot who originally called it that, but I can't say for sure. Maybe we'll find out, and I'll get back to you on that.
1: All right. Eric, thank you so much for your time, and congrats on a great season. So you know, unbelievable with Montreal, the, the 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 way the dialogue in them has changed in the last few years. Like you have to think that Mark Bergevin was a a bad move away from losing his job, and now you got to think, wow, Montreal—that's an up-and-coming franchise. There's they're really—I mean, yes, they got a bit of a time limit. Yes, you got Shea Weber and and Carey Price who are getting older. But if Carey Price is anything like Henrik Lundqvist, that might not matter. And, well, and he
2: had a hell of a bounce back season. <sighs> Did and, he ever. I mean, you got to draft well and you also got to have some good fortune. And how is Cole Caulfield available? Yeah. I couldn't no believe kidding. that pick. And I don't think
1: they could either. No, I think they fell over. They must have fallen off oh, the chairs.
2: And adding him to Suzuki and paling is so much better than I thought. And, uh,
1: oh, yeah. It's, it's annoying,
2: crazy. man. Now, if only they ever. Who would have thought we'd be talking about why aren't the Montreal Canadiens spending money? <laughs> Like I was stunned. Yeah, and we kept. Oh, it's for Tavares. Ah, it's for Duchesne. Ah, it's for spend it, spend something. Anything.
1: It was also Ryan O'Reilly for a while too. They should have spent it last season. They don't know if they took advantage of it the same way. But um, you, one team that I that I was paying particular attention to. Yesterday and this is why I mean we've 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 taken far too long to have Andy back on but Andy Graziano Thank you so much for joining us. We have got to talk about the New York Islanders Um, Andy, I mean you've been following them forever Um, You know you're you're on the biggest sports station in New York talking about them all the time Uh, What did you think of yesterday after such an incredible season first place? uh, Incredible story with Robin Leonard. sorry second place. I guess Um, and and then yesterday, you know, they swing and miss on Panarin, they swing and miss on Bobrovsky, and, you know, like, what are are your thoughts, and what's the feeling with Islander fans today about how yesterday went?
0: Uh, the feeling with Islander fans is not good. I'll say (laughs) that. Twitter Twitter becomes a very interesting place on July 1st, you guys know that. And yesterday it was probably the most interesting, because I think everyone had these exceptional expectations for Lou Lamarillo coming into his now second off off-season with the club, and especially coming off the comments that Barry Trotz made after they got swept out of the playoffs by the Carolina Hurricanes about what was evident in everybody's eyes, and that's the need to inject more offense into the lineup. Um, you know, Barry came in and just made them so defensive, sure, it led them to go from worst to first and goals against for the first time in a bazillion years, actually 100, but I like to exaggerate at times. Um, and so, yes, that was a dramatic turnaround. And what Mitch Korn was able to do with Robin Leonard was remarkable. And you had all these remarkable stories. But if you notice, they were all on one side of the ice. And on the other side of the ice, they really struggled to score at times. And it hurt them. Obviously, we saw that against Carolina. It hurt them tremendously. So the expectations were high, especially when a guy, a guy as respected and as connected as McKenzie tweets out that, the Islanders are front runners for Panera in the night before when there's still 12 hours to go. Um, that was a risky tweet. <laughs> I'll just yeah. say that was a risky tweet. Um, we all know better, and Bob's a pro, so I defer to that. Obviously, you know he's in the majors, while well, you know I'm still in single A. So I defer to that, but. Um, what about I, it made I it, What made it risky for you morning. I, I, You know, I don't even think the Rangers came off their offer much. You know, they were always in that eleven to eleven point two five range, so they only came up like two hundred and fifty thousand, three hundred thousand dollars. It wasn't much that they had to come up to to snag Panarin away from the Islanders. And I think the fact that it was the Rangers just drove Islander fans into an absolute insane almost lucid state (laughs) they were typing and didn't even know what they were typing you know um but you know with Lou you have to you have to ask the questions and you know I'll be publishing a column this week on WFAN about this and you know, the NHL has changed so much, guys. We've seen it. The game has gotten faster. It's gotten quicker. It's all about speed now. It's all about generating speed through the neutral zone, and it's all about offensive attack. And, yeah, the defensive purists will argue and you know, punch me in the face for shying away from that aspect of the game, which is still very prevalent, obviously. But, look, you want to win, you've got to score in this league, and you need fast players to do that and talented, skilled players. And the Islanders have a shortage of that. And you have to wonder if Lou is trying to build a team in 2019 with
5: 1999
0: methods. Well, it, this mm. is... Sorry, I, mm. I just...
2: I had to calculate this to make sure it was real. Uh, I, I have a theory as to why Lou Lamorello was old school. Can, can I tell you it? <laughs> sure. uh, because, it is, it's your show, man. Like, because I mean. the last time the last time the Leafs won the Stanley Cup, Lou Lamorello well. was almost a quarter century old.
0: There you see,
2: he could have legally drank at the cup parade.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He would have been, he's been a legal adult for multiple Leafs Cups. He would have been the same age, he would have been older than we were when we started this podcast. We were, oh, I think we were were 24, 25. We were 25, 25, yeah, something like that. Crazy, crazy to think, making me feel old. Yeah, well, (laughs) it was a while ago for us, too, but but. Well, I just want to know: uh,
2: first game, the Rangers play against the Islanders Oof. in Brooklyn. <laughs> which plastic animal will it be, or will it just be bread? <laughs> It'll be
0: loaves of wonder. So you already know the answer to that question. <laughs> the Islander fans are p- pretty on top of that already. I think oh, oh, already. Yeah. I think Wonder Bread in this area is already sold out. That was. It's I, already sold out.
2: I mean, Islanders fans took a lot of grief for Tavares's return, but like, it wasn't just the plastic snakes. Like, men. They, they made songs and there was choreography. I'm
0: pretty sure yep. and everyone painted and think, their face. I think, in and- all honesty, Steve, that was that that was that that was tepid. Let's. That could have gone a lot worse sure oh, I know you yeah tell you,
1: that could have gone a lot worse It was <laughs> annoying how fun it was yeah, and and it could have been like imagine that had happened in Buffalo Then I think you know like with Bills fans, you know or Eagles fans right 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 um, get the tables Yeah, were, yeah, there wouldn't be a table left in Buffalo. I you know I hated how much I loved the uh, the reaction to Tavares coming back, but oh. but with Andy with when it comes to Lou like, do you view yesterday yep. as a failure? Because, I mean, yes, Bob McKenzie did tweet out what he tweeted. And I want to ask you a bit of a part one, part two question. First off, what you found um, edgy or uh, risky about that tweet with Bob? I think I know the answer, but I still want to hear yours. Second, I want to know, how. what is the view of Lou Lamarillo, And why do you think Panarin and, uh, and Bobrovsky don't end up on the island?
0: Well, I'll answer the easy question first with Bobrovsky, and it's $10 million. There was no way in heaven that any of us could have foreseen Sergei Bobrovsky snagging a $10 million contract. Mm -hmm. Let's face it. Um, That is a lot of dough. I I, I don't like going high, high dollar amount or high term on a goaltender. I just don't. I think it's too volatile of a position, in my opinion. so risky. To see Bobrovsky, I thought I honestly thought he was going to be in the eight, eight and a half range. I didn't even dream of it being ten. Now Mm -hmm. I saw that literally was like wow, like that that literally took me by surprise. So that's 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 the reason why I think the Islanders were out on Bobrovsky really early. Um, I think that maybe what Lou kind of tried to do was one of those, you know, here's here's a bucket load of money, you guys split it how you want. You know what I mean? Like he might have said. Thinking about what the Islanders' cap situation was going into yesterday, he might have said, here's $20 million. You guys can split it as you want. Obviously, with Panarin taking, let's say, 12, the Islanders offer went actually as high as 12 and a half,
4: Wow.
0: Right, which would wow. have left Kierofsky in that eight range that I had. Oh, yeah, they went up to 12 and a half on Panarin. Seven by 12 and a half, And he still said no. Wow. He took a million, le- a million less dollars per year for seven years. I wish I could do that. Yeah, no kidding. To go play for the Rangers. And I think that... That, that, you know, that whole two arena circus has a lot to do with it also. Um, and I just, I, I'd just like to think in, in today's day and age, let's face it, with these players, you have to sell them. You have to be a salesman more than a businessman at this point. You have to sell them on the city. You've got to sell them on the schools. You've got to sell them on the area. You've got to sell their, their wife. You've got to sell their kids. You've got to sell their grandmother. You've got to sell the nanny. You've got to sell. And I'm not sure that that's what I've heard, that's not Lou's strong suit. Lou is kind of like a, here's seven by twelve and a half, take it or leave it. Mm. You know, he doesn't really go out of his way to sell to the player on why he should come there. And I think if you're a Temi Panarin, and like I said, you're looking at that two arena circus, you know, they haven't even broken ground on Belmont yet. They will be doing that. So that's going to happen, but they haven't yet. So that's still, what, three years down the road. And at the end of the day, I just don't think Lou made it attractive enough. It's not just about the money. You know, maybe, again, back in back in Lou's day, when he was in his heyday, it wasn't just about the money. He threw a bucket load of money at a guy who came over. Mm -hmm. Now things have changed, and I worry about the fact that Lou doesn't seem to be willing to adapt to those changes or conform to those changes or get himself up to speed, you know, however, however you want to say it. It just seems to me like that's, the prevailing scenario right now around the Islanders and Lou Amarillo. Um, in reference to McKenzie, I've, I've kind of always felt like that. Ever since I got into this business eight years ago, I kind of felt like that in terms of media. Like, I, It's almost like, I think I've talked to Steve about this too, So it's, it's, it's almost like trade rumors. Right? Trade rumors are very dangerous because the trade market is, as we all know, extremely volatile. A guy that's available now will, won't be available in 10 minutes or vice versa. So it's, it's, Really hard to like everyone always asks me on Twitter, What are you hearing in the latest trade rumors? I'm like, just going after anybody. And it's like, even though sometimes I might have an idea, it's a dangerous game to play because you can really, really easily be wrong. Yeah. And, you know, you can, and not that, you know, look, Bob McKenzie's not going to lose any credibility or any sleep for that matter, as he shouldn't, <laughs> over tweeting that out because it's honestly what he felt at the time. And I do believe, based on the dollar offers that were out there, It seemed like a logical way to go. Well, how could you not at $12.5 million, right? Right. Right. Would it have been something I would have done? Probably not. But that's why, again, I'm on the bottom and Bob's (laughs) a top feeder. That's why, you know what I mean? If if I would have did that, I would have lost all my credibility, which is why I try to stay away from stuff like that, only if I'm really 100% sure will I put something out there. That's why when I got the call yesterday at roughly 11.35 a.m., that Panarin did sign with the Rangers... I put it out there. And, and right, exactly what happened. So, um, <laughs> it's oof. But that's, that's where we're at. And, and I mean,
2: well, I, I was going to say we have Andy Graziano on for what is now his <laughs> annual eulogy of the New
1: York <laughs> Islanders. But, but here's Andy, we, by the way, I hate the fact that we've, it's been an entire year. We, it's been a bit of a shit show behind the scenes that's here for the last fault. year. Yeah. It your is our fault. fault. We love you. We're going to have you on more. And I'm so sorry. Yeah. Oh, I just want to apologize. Say, though, I
0: will say, and I have to get this out there. You know, I have to get this out there for the 20 people that are listening to me but, you know, babble right now. Um, Adam, congratulations on the Virgin Radio stuff, obviously, and more importantly, the baby.
1: Thank you, buddy. I really I appreciate saw that. That. that is
0: terrific news. Thank I you. also saw that picture you tweeted of you and the baby with your wife sleeping on the couch in the background, mm. and she looked more comfortable than I think I've ever been in my entire life. <laughs> and I was very jealous. I was very jealous of that. And Steve, to you, I took your book with me on vacation to St. Martin a couple of weeks ago. Aww. And I think I finished it in two and a half days. It Love was it. Why does everyone read faster than me? <laughs> sorry. That... Wait, wait, sorry. Say how good my yeah, book was again. Good... Shut up,
2: Steve. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, it was... It, it, honestly, I'm not, I'm not just saying this because I'm on your show. I'm not just saying this because we're friends. It was absolutely phenomenal. It was honestly one of the best hockey books I've ever read. It was... It just engaged me from the first page and I didn't put it down. So...
1: Oh, that well, yeah, cool. Andy.
0: Man. damn, Andy!
2: So uh, the eulogy? Um, <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna cry, no, man. Sorry, This is really nice. Yeah. the other stuff. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. First of all, Jesus, thanks, dude. I wasn't fishing for compliments there, uh, but no, I uh, don't. but uh, li- let's listen. Last year, it was it was a very somber occasion, and
0: Mm -hmm. John Tavares- (laughs) No, I knew you were gonna go
2: there. Well, John Tavares had just left, and- (laughs) Well, it wasn't just that John Tavares left, it's that every single decision they made seemed like a bad one. Yep. Bringing Matt Martin back, and that cap hit, Leo Komarov is a great person and a great player. Holy smokes, that's a lot of money. Voluntary um, filibuster. Holy yeah, right? smokes, that's a lot of money. <laughs> it, 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 Robin Leonard, yep. yeah, seemed like a a, yep. a a you know a kid walking up to the counter, you know, his parents right. were trying to teach him you know how to pay for stuff. What can I get for this many? And he turned into a a Vesna candidate. So, yep. I, I guess basically, after last year worked out perfectly fine. After it seemed like it was going to be miserable what to you seems to be different about this year?
0: I think it started for me at the draft, right? Here I am sitting there watching the draft, which I thought was one of the most boring things I've probably ever seen in my it was entire life. i a lot of boring things. Awful, you're I so mean, right. It was just, I thought the award show, honestly, was one of the best I've seen in a while on the flip side, mm-hmm. which is kind of funny, because it's kind of like I usually hate the award show, and I thought that was actually good this year. Um. So the draft, I'm sitting there watching the draft and, you know, comes the Islanders pick and I'm seeing Tomasino and I'm seeing Suzuki fall to them. And I'm like, wow, this is like awesome, right? They're not only guys that can skate, as we said before, in a league that's become all about skating and agility and speed, not only can they skate, but they're centers. And if there's one thing the Islanders are ridiculously poor on is center depth in the organization. They have none, like none. So I'm like, that's gotta be the pick. Right? What does he do? He turns around and drafts a guy who, granted, was was fighting injuries, which is why he fell. I mean, a lot of the mocks had him in, like, the mid-40s, and that was because he was hurt. So, you know, he had some pretty serious injuries to fight through. But how could you not? I mean, he wasn't even, even if he's healthy, I don't think, even if you go on the theory that you take the best available player, which I don't, I think you only do that if you've solved your organizational need first and the organizational need was a center. So not only didn't they go for the organizational need, but they didn't even take, in in a lot of people's estimation, not just mine, the best player available. Right. And right then I'm like, what is going on? Like, what, what, like, what? And now to to follow that up with yesterday's situation, um, you know, the whole letter thing, too. Like, you got... Yeah, I I wanted to ask about that. You know, yeah, I mean, I got reports that the Islanders offered them two years at... $5 $5 million AAV, and then Leonard comes out to the Chicago media and says, I was never offered anything, and, and then I was told later that, well, Lou made an offer that he thought was fair, and when Leonard didn't get back to him right away, Lou just literally walked away from the whole thing. He said, okay, I'm done with you. Wow. Even though, you know, knowing in the back of his mind that he had his sights set on Barlamov the whole time, because Barlamov's agent is also Ilya Sorokin's agent, who, as you guys know, the Islanders have been dying to get over here from the KHL, that's a whole nother story because I'm not a big KHL believer. That, you know, big goaltender numbers in the KHL. I'm not a believer that they translate into the NHL. Well,
3: so we haven't, haven't seen have a lot that of that
0: whole situation going on. And then you have Leonard leaving, and then you have him circling back to Anders Lee, who he didn't want to give, you know, seven years to. Didn't want to give seven or eight years to. He was offering him five. And now all of a sudden, seemingly to save face he all of a sudden is comfortable going seven years on Anders Lee, who's a terrific player and a terrific captain and great in that room. But we've seen those power forwards. I'm not sure that seven-year contract's going to hold up so well. I mean, why do you think the Flyers of all teams only gave five to James Van Riemsdyk, who I think is a fair comparable to Anders Lee?
1: Yeah, I mean...
0: It's just been like one thing after another lately that really has me scratching my head as to... Look, I said it when I was on this show last year with you guys. Lula Marillo seems to me like he'd be a great boss but it's not looking like he's a he's a good GM.
1: So he, Simon Holmstrom is the guy you're you're talking about in terms of the draft, correct? Yeah. he took a 23rd, yep. Yep, and I, so um so you know he's from the Swedish elite. So that's I, I just wanted for anybody that missed w- what that pick was at Simon Holmstrom. You can you can check him out. You know that was the thing. The thing with Anders Lee and and uh, and Robin Leonard is is this. I mean we had I believe it was Anders Lee's agent who was on Twitter today saying Anders Lee was never going to leave. Um, right. They were always going to work something out. I don't necessarily believe that that's the case. If you've got Panara coming in at 12 and a exactly. half, how is Anders Lee ever going to fit in at 7 million or, th- or 6 million or 5 million? Like, I don't think I don't think that that was the case. And I, maybe that's the agent trying to save face for the Islanders Absolutely. organization. Why is, Absolutely. It, why is it that with such a feel-good story with Robin Leonard that it ended so poorly? Like, what is it about? Is it that Lou is so cold... That there is no room for nuance here in his relationships with these players, or is it that he genuinely thought, "Wow, we got lucky with Robin Leonard for one season, but I don't believe in this any further." And 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 to that point, how much do you trust that he actually believes in in? Sorry, yeah, how much do you trust that he believes in Andersley if he was so willing to make him wait until way late yesterday after Panarin goes? Now I'm going to be a Ranger to to bring him back.
0: Yeah, see, I don't. Conversely, with with what we said about about how Lamarillo was all of a sudden comfortably with seven years on Lee, I don't think Lee all of a sudden would have been comfortable taking four years at $6 per if the Islanders had signed Panarin. So I don't believe Neil Sheehy's tweet for one minute. I think that definitely is some damage control being done there. Um, Because let's face it, Lee didn't really have many other options, right? What other options did Lee have? Minnesota, who was thought to be in the game, went with Matt Zuccarillo. Nashville, who was thought maybe players in honors, Lee, went with, you know, threw, threw money at Matthew Shane. Montreal threw the offer sheet of Sebastian Ajo. Colorado, I heard, was only going five years term on Lee. But he wasn't getting seven years from Colorado. Mm-hmm. So my point there is, you know, Lamarillo still had leverage there.
1: Oh. Yet,
3: he,
0: right, so yet, yet he still caved to the seven years. So it, it seems like a little bit of a save face situation there, in my opinion. Okay. And, uh, you know, I think, look, I'm never going um, to, I, I could never in my position discredit what Lou Lamarillo has done in the game of hockey and how far he's come in the game of hockey and his savvy and his knowledge and his expertise. I could never, ever, ever in my wildest dreams discredit that. However, I do think that Lou is a little cold and callous and, and you know, rough around the edges, let's call it. And, I do believe some of the things I'm hearing about it's it's my way or the highway. It's take it or leave it. It's you know there's really no room for negotiation there. And in this, as we said before, in this day and age, that hurts. But then I understood a little bit because that's a touchy situation with his with his mental issues and with his addiction issues. You know I I have lived with for a long time people lived and loved them, people with addiction issues who are now who are now clean and sober and. It's, a, it's literally a day-to-day battle. It's never something that you defeat. So I think that from a business perspective, you know, Lou had to keep that in mind. You know, it's very risky, not just from an on-ice performance perspective, but from a personal perspective, to be giving... It sucks to say this, but it's true. You know, to, to, to give a guy like Robin Leonard a, a four- five-year deal in his situation. It's, from a business standpoint, I don't think that's great business. But at the same time, you know, because Robin wants to take a couple of days to maybe think about your initial offer, you just <laughs> bounce because he didn't come back to you on your timeline. You just drop him like a bad habit. And a, and, and
2: a guy who was nominated for the Vesna Trophy—like this isn't just a goal who had a good the season. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, like it was the ultimate feel-good story that ends so poorly. Absolutely. Yeah, and and why would you not want him to continue his working relationship that he had with Mitch Korn, Right.
0: Yes exactly. I mean, who who literally turned his career around. Now Korn also obviously has a relationship with Varlamov, but let's not forget guys, two years ago Varlamov seriously tore up his groin, too. Now, we're not talking about a guy who's who's been exactly stellar in the health department.
1: Yeah, and, and, and four years they give him? I mean, like arena not...
0: and 5 million per and, an, and a no trade clause. Oh, I didn't know that. Now is that Oh yeah, you did. There's seven, there's seven Islanders right now with a no trade or modified no movement clause.
1: So seven, and they all have to be protected. Do they not? Come, come Seattle. Do they not? Or yes. is it no moves? That is correct. Now well, we're, get, I think we're getting no into trade, painful. What is it?
2: We're getting into painful conversations that we we get to have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We get
0: to have... I'm not sure which one it is. A year from now. (laughs) (laughs) Now you're you're, going to make me look it up as soon as we get off. Oh, boy. You're making...
2: I'm looking... Sorry, I I was trying to look up stats there on my phone. Uh, You keep bringing up Mitch Korn and Robin Leonard's relationship. Yep. And there's a saying that's been brought up very often, and that's, uh, don't mess with happy. I believe the
1: the saying is, don't fuck with happy. Well... You know, yeah. we haven't swore yet on today's show, but there it is. Uh,
0: well, for I, us married guys, too, it's happy wife, happy life. True There that. you go. True Very, that. very,
2: very... There you go. Very true. Um, and uh, unhappy husband, well, you deal with that. <laughs> That's <laughs> your problem. <laughs> well, that sounds like a you problem. Uh, <laughs> with... Uh, with, uh, I just... I look at Simeon Varlamov. Even if yep. he returns to form, and let's say this guy throws up a ridiculous 920. So he's like 1415 Varlamov, right? Yo, oh, like years ago. Yeah. Years ago. Yeah. What are the sheer odds the Islanders get better goaltending than they did last year? Forget Leonard, who I believe right. was over 930. Which is crazy. Thomas Grice. I keep going back yep. to this as part of the Islander story. Thomas Grice, two years ago, was one of the worst regular goalies in the National Hockey League. Yes. And he put up a 930. <laughs> What are the sheer odds the Islanders' goaltending is better this year than next? That, to me, is well, the area a, right. they take the biggest hit.
0: And here's what worries me, too, Steve, right? Because they still haven't, as we said, they still haven't gotten better offensively. So they're still pretty much status quo right now with probably a little more of a question in goal, as you just said. Their power play is still not improved. And if, if, if you really believe that the Islanders are going to play to a 104-105 PDO for the first 60 games of the season like they did last year, then okay, maybe you're feeling a little comfortable, you know, and you're not feeling so bad today. I don't think that's the case. That's like asking Lightning to strike twice in the same spot. Mm. They asked them, as you said, their save percentage was extremely high. Their shooting percentage was extremely high. They, they were literally close to, like, they were flirting with a 105 PDO like 50 games in. And that's just <laughs> <was> extremely <laughs> lucky. Yes. Extremely lucky. Now, I'm not a huge analytics guy. I think there's a place for it. I just don't think it should be overused. No. I think the eye test is always, to me, the most dependable. But they they were getting very, very lucky the first 50 games of the year, 60 games of the year. If that's and if you're telling me you're banking on that happening again, uh, you're getting into you're getting into rough waters there with me. Get into
1: Leafs territory at that point.
0: <laughs> uh, uh, well, uh, I was thinking hey, about... hey, let me tell you something. Kyle Dubas has done a damn good job so far. Well, so
2: far, so far, but uh the summer is I don't young. I like by
0: the whole marner thing. Yeah, no, we'll I wait. know you got to get the whole marner. I don't know how he's going to do the marner thing still, but well, I I think
2: we're about to cross paths a little bit here because you were talking about how maybe Lou can be a little callous. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. I mean, tendering an offer sheet is one of the most cold-blooded things you can do yeah, in this you, league. I knew
0: that was going to come up.
2: I mean,
1: it's <laughs> it's been the boogeyman
2: that a lot of Islanders yep. fans have been throwing at me on Twitter, like, Ooh, "Are you scared?" <laughs> I mean,
1: <laughs> it would be really uh, honestly. I feel like it'd be really good for the Leafs if if Marner signs an offer sheet somewhere and goes. Like, I I really do. Like, you I got bet, what? Yeah,
0: absolutely. I bet you do. the six the four picks too. Oh yeah. Well,
1: yep. Could be very
2: interesting. But I was just, it's been in the back of my mind, uh, the Islanders in particular, that it could happen. Because you know the sadistic part of me was like, ah, Vanders Lee leaves. That's going to be hilarious." Yeah. And then I'm like, "No, they'll have way too much money to spend." Uh, do you do you think that's the next step?
0: Offer well, sheet. Honestly, I don't. Uh, I, I you know I was never a big offer sheet guy, and I still really I still think the whole Sebastian Ajo thing was a. I'm, I'm convinced that Waddell just wanted to go on vacation with his family and paid Bergevin to take care of the contract. Right? That's, it. <laughs> like that was going on, right? That's exactly what happened. And so, I don't think that was a real... That wasn't an offer sheet where you were like, wow, you know, the Hurricanes might not match this. You knew they were matching you from the moment they announced mm-hmm. it. Yeah. So I'm still not... The Islanders right now are sitting with a little shy of $10 million in cap, right? So you figure next year... The restrictive free agents include Matt Barzal,
5: mm-hmm.
0: Ryan Pollock, and Devin Tace. So even if they were to move Nick Letty for draft picks, just unload him for salary reasons, even if they were to move Thomas Hickey as well for draft picks, just to get the salary you know, benefit, they're still only up to like 18. So are you really going to throw 12 of that at Marner, leaving yourself with six with those guys coming up on RFA next year?
1: I don't see it. Boy, could be fun, though. Could be a lot of fun. I, I,
0: I'm more curious from that perspective to seeing how Dubas matches it rather than waiting for Lamarillo to drop the hammer on on Dubas' head. I'm waiting to see how Dubas handles. Or I mean, right now he's sitting with like 11000000 million. He's got to get Kerfoot and CeCe under
1: contract, and he's Plez Marner sitting out there. But they've got, uh, they've got um, Horton's I'm, LTIR, right? So that'll push him over. That's well, the part that people aren't mentioning is that it's more like sixteen million. Yeah. Um, okay, okay. Okay. So that's that's the uh, that's the part where it's still like okay, tight. It's, yeah. Oh, it's tight. But like, if you're a good team, yeah, you well, should CC's be tight. Not going to get a lot. I'm not sure what her foot's going to ha- going to get. But they, they say three million. CC's four and a half. Um, so CC's I mean, going to get four and a half. Oh, yeah. I still, yeah. I, it's crazy. I still don't understand we, how we, that works. We have a we have a, I have a conspiracy theory that we think that that Cody CC. May, I personally think he never plays. Uh, for the Leafs, I think they they sign him to a, a contract that is front loaded, so they give him you give him three and a half, 3.8 as a signing bonus, and then he's an eight hundred thousand dollar player with a 4.5. Oh yeah, I just, yeah, I, have I don't, a don't think he time, ever plays.
2: I have a hard time believing the largest analytics staff in hockey acquired Cody Cc and Ben Harper and went, This is good.
1: I am glad. <laughs> well, I don't right, think they right, thought right, it was right, good, right. but I right. think it was like better than Zaitsev,
2: better wow. than five
1: years of Zaitsev. Incorrect. Wow. Well, In- so Cece does get that, and Kerfoot gets three. Now
0: you're at seven. Yeah. Now you're back down to like nine left. But if you it's
1: get. Tight. I mean. If you get. Now you're seeing why Dubas is digging in, right? If you get CC at three, yeah. if you get CC at four, five, and you give him that three point eight million dollar signing bonus, and then fire him off to a team that needs to hit the floor, maybe back to Ottawa. Ottawa, <laughs> I, seriously? <laughs> like I, I, I think for Shabat. Ottawa, yeah. Yeah, for Shabbat. <laughs> <laughs> for Branshaw. <Brandstrom. laughs> for oh Carter Brownback. <laughs> there are so many ways we can go with this. It's so much fun. Oh, it's crazy! It's crazy fun. Um, limited potential here. What do you think? Uh, what do you think the Islanders are? This year, and, and Andy, I really mean that because, like you said, they were flirting with pretty high PDO there for fifty or sixty games. They yep, outperformed yep. when anybody could have thought. You know, it was a it was supposed to be a retooling year. Um, Nearly won the Metro, uh, and th- yeah, <laughs> and like performances of a lifetime out of guys like Valfield Pula, Too, like forget the goaltending for a second. Valfield is the resurgence of him. Um, mm-hmm. What are they next year uh, with the Rangers probably being pretty good again uh, with Pittsburgh? bound and determined to destroy itself. I don't know what they're doing there. <laughs> oh. Like It's it's like Pittsburgh's like, Nobody you know what? We need does. to give everybody else a chance. We're tired of being this good. Let's sign uh, Brandon Tanev to six years. Yeah, I don't know what that was. They're, they're having Mike a very merry unbirthday. And Washington's just... giving Richard Ponick term. I, I don't understand what's happening, but I feel like the Islanders still have a really great shot in the Metro. Are they as good? And do they make do they make the playoffs in a top two, top three position again? I'm going to, I mean, right now, and again, this is a
0: question that I'll answer on July 2nd with a lot of summer left to go. And because I think that right now, let's face it, with the free agent market looking the way it is, you know, Lemerle's only option right now is to dig into the trade market. That's the only way he's going to find scoring at this point. And that's, and you're hoping that you can swing a good deal for Nikolai Ehlers, a type like, or, you know, Mike Hoffman, who I think would help. Mm, Yeah. It's, easy, it's easier said than done, right? We're not all sitting on our PS4s just hitting the Xbox. <laughs> so, is that a shot? Um, and, you know, Lou, 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 let's face it, Lou's trade history is not that great either. So it's going to be interesting to see if he can swing that deal to get that offensive help. I think as the Islanders are constructed today, I, I just think it's asking an awful lot for this team to get that lucky again and to have that many guys have career years? Casey Zizekas, is he going to be able to do what he did last year? They don't have Leonard anymore. Are they going to be able to play the same tight defensive structure under Tross if they did and get those bounces? Mm-hmm. Um, where's the secondary scoring going to come from? You know, how does, do, they, do they inject a guy like Oliver Wallstrom in the lineup finally or a keeper Bellows? How do they perform? You know, Looking at their lineup today as it currently is, I'm going to lean towards, you know, maybe a wild card team right
5: now.
2: Okay, could could be. I mean, I mean that gets you to the second round apparently, like at very least uh, (laughs) these days. Ridiculous. You you mentioned why the
0: fans were so upset last year at the trade deadline when Lou struck out, right? Because he was so he was said to be so laser focused on Mark Stone, and then when Stone goes to Vegas at a quarter to three, he's got no time to circle back to anything, and. You know, last year, with, the, with all those big teams getting knocked out in the first round, it was a tremendous opportunity for a lot of teams, I think, to take that step and maybe have a shot. And, you know, it, was, it didn't, was just, didn't work out for them.
2: It was just mentioned that Lou Lamorello's trade history is, is a little bit spotty, and I was trying to think of his greatest hits, and I realized... Phaneuf, right? Getting rid of Phaneuf's cap hit. Was, yeah, that was uh, bloody wizardry. Oh, but man, boy. I, but what I was trying to
0: well that might be the only one though.
2: You know what though? On a similar vein, I was trying to think of his greatest hits. I did not think of enough. I was thinking back to the Devils, the the okay. cor- the cornerstones of that dynasty, were Brodeur, Niedermeyer, Stevens, yeah. and Correct. they all came to New Jersey as a result of unabashed stupidity. Uh, Trevor yeah. Kidd was selected ahead of Martin Brodeur in that draft. Oh. The Leafs, Ouch. the Leafs decided to give. Uh their first round pick over a year ahead of time to the New Jersey Devils, and they stunk unexpectedly, oh, which is the worst position to be in. <laughs> so they right, gave, right. they gifted uh, um Scott Niedermeyer to the Devils. And Scott Stevens became a devil because whoever the, the GM, right? Yeah, because the whoever the GM of the St. Louis Blues was at the time, I can't remember, literally. Did not know the rules, <laughs> right, so
0: right. that was the Shanahan thing, right?
2: Uh, yes, yes. Yeah, uh, for those was. of you who don't know about that, look it up. It's hilarious.
1: One of those. It's like it's yeah, like was, yep. '90s NHL man, crazy, yeah, uh, crazy well, time. Absolutely, yeah, I mean, we think things are crazy now. Back Ooh. then, it was like the Wild West. Yeah. Absolutely nuts.
2: Long story short, uh, Brennan Shanahan was given an offer sheet by the Blues, who had just offer sheeted scott stevens away from the capitals i think the year before uh so they they offer sheeted back-to-back years and so the devils went all right you offer sheeted brendan shanahan picks please and the st louis blues went we do not have them
4: (laughs) (laughs) and so lou lamorello took them to
2: court because that's really stupid and he just stubbornly was like compensation will be scott stevens and they
0: said no. And I, think, I, right, and I think what you're saying, Steve, is so, is so great because I think that when, when people turn around and they proclaim a GM to be great or a Hall of Famer or he's the best, I, why, though? It's I'm capitalizing on stupidity. Really, right? Is, is it because the team that you were GM of won cups? But why did they win cups? As you just described, the Devils were basically gifted Martin Brodeur, Scott Niedermeyer, and Scott Stevens, which in turn under Jacques Lemaire's system, led them to the Stanley Cups, right? That's when they introduced the neutral zone trap, and they started playing, you know, lockdown defensive hockey. Uh. um, um, Unless you have a terrific record that people like us can refer to in terms of trading and free agent acquisitions, how how can you really say that? Mm. (laughs) Well, It's a tough thing to
2: proclaim. Andy, I say all that to say this. I don't know how to salvage the New York Islanders' summer, but I'm positive. It starts with a phone call to the Minnesota Wild. Yes! <laughs> I am positive! If you've made your career on capitalizing on stupidity, you call Paul Fenton immediately! Right away!
0: <laughs> Speed dial well, that guy, normally, is out of his mind! the go-to for Garth Snow was Chiarelli, right? Yeah. Like, yes! He's got to find his go-to now. Yes! yes. <laughs>
2: Imagine being Garth Snow's punching bag.
0: <laughs> oh my god. Awful. Absolutely awful. <laughs>
2: Find the bad GMs and call them every day. Yeah,
0: boy, oh right, boy! Right, right. That 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 poor chap. That just defines P- Peter Chiarelli's relationship with Garth Snow. Defines Chiarelli's.
1: History in as a GM in and the National Hockey. Well, my favorite part is now he's with the Canucks, so that just makes us all unhappy. allegedly, allegedly. I Supposedly guess, that's I, not official. Allegedly. Oh <laughs> man. Hey, uh, Andy. I, one last thing we have to do before before we wrap it up. And again, we're going to check in with you again a lot more often because the Isles to me are going to be one of the stories of the NHL this year that are going to be fun. Yeah, and you complimented but my book. I want to ask you more about you. <laughs> just on a quick a quick note here. Who is guys? And Andy, I don't expect you to answer this, but you can. I actually want to get your answer on it anyway. Steve Jesse, who's, who's the most popular personality on this podcast? Who's the most popular personality on this, on this show with our listeners? Who's the most popular? I Are you going to
0: make me answer this question? I'm going to make
1: you answer it because there's a reason why I think you'll all get it wrong. Well, I don't know. I don't. I, I'm going to. I'm going to guess because I don't know anything about him, and
0: we never really. It's really you two guys at the forefront of the show. I'm going to say it's probably Jesse, right? Yeah, uh, I agree.
5: Yeah. I, I think it's Steve because his name is on the show. <laughs> no. Well, no, the no
2: the you don't get angry tweets, Jesse. No mm-hmm. one's ever been no. like, I don't like what he brings to I the show. I did get an angry tweet that
5: said, This is an angry tweet because I never get them. Yes,
2: yes,
0: yes. <laughs> you got a novelty angry
1: the- tweet. <laughs> it's always the guy behind the scenes that's the MVP. Yes, know that. yeah, and and and, and in, in this case, it is. But sorry, Jesse, you are not the most popular on-air personality at the Steve Dangle podcast. The most popular on-air personality of the Steve Dangle podcast is Mike Francesa. Oh. <laughs>
5: That's true. Oh,
1: no. So I, Adam nailed it. I, I gotta ask, because we... The internet loves Mike. Uh, we love Mike because he's just out there and outrageous. You work at the same station. Yep. I'm not sure how often you guys cross paths because, we, you know, listen, we've worked with yep. sports radio personalities who are, like, godly, like Bob McCowan was, and you're like, I'm afraid to say yep. anything to him. What right, is right. Mike like?
0: I've only met the man once. They generally try to keep the print guys away from the radio guys because okay. the radio guys are just like, you know... It, it's almost like if you, uh, you know, wrote a blog about talk radio and then you had howard stern working for the same company right they're going to generally separate (laughs) they're going to keep those two very exclusive um but i I, you know i have met him once and I, i have to say not to toot my own horn but toot toot i'm a very good uh first impression guy like my wife is literally like i amaze her every single time we meet new people because i can literally know in five minutes like, I can read someone immediately. And, okay. like, six months later, she'll be like, this person turned out to be a jerk. I'm like, I told you. How like, do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> it's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. Um, so, I, I, you know, I don't feel that he's... You know, I, I'll be honest with you. It's easy, I would think, in that position to get an ego.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, he didn't come off like that to me at all. You know, it's... He came off to me as like like I just... Like I've, I've met him a million times before. Like, we shook hands. We had a casual conversation for 20 minutes about radio, about media, about kids, about family, about living, you know,
3: where he lives, and summer
0: plans, and it's just, honestly, it seemed like I walked away from that, and I was like, wow, you know, I I feel like we've been friends, like, for a long time, and I think that's an important um, show of one's character, I think. I'm so disappointed.
1: (laughs) I actually think that's... I know, I know. I was expecting
0: you. You were looking for me to
1: call him a jerk, aren't you? No, (laughs) I I didn't want you to call
2: him a jerk, but what I did want... For you to say is like, oh yeah, I met him once, and he asked me to help him with something he didn't understand with his phone.
0: (laughs) Because I just feel like he 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 started reading golf scores
2: to me for thirty minutes. (laughs) For thirty minutes. (laughs) I love it. Like I I wanted you to be like, I was in studio the day he went on his Harambe
0: rant. Yeah, (laughs) the gorilla. (laughs) <laughs> oh that
1: must have been awesome oh yeah well and that's our is, favorite yeah and and i don't ever i've never got the sense from mike that he's a jerk i just think right. Mike's and mike yeah and exactly i might look i i actually as i was texting you before adam i am the least
0: offendable <laughs> least pc person you'll probably ever meet right There's, honestly nothing that offends me or that i'm pc about so i actually appreciate that kind of in your face out like tell me how you feel don't beat around the bush like this is ridiculous like you know what I mean I'm I actually appreciate that kind of uh relationship with anybody i
1: encounter so well I, I just had I'm to ask thinking
2: about the Harambe video!
1: Yeah, the Harambe video is amazing. I you know and the, and the most most recent one where he he basically said the Mets should never never come back to New York. Like did yeah, you see that one? That oh, all, like, that yeah, don't even bring the bus. Like, back! Yeah. <laughs> like, I saw that. that was he's awesome. like Steve, he's like an older fan. Like he's like, "You, man." Like he's like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god.
2: Wow. Oh my god. I'm right? I mean, uh,
1: Steve to Mike Francesa. <laughs> I mean, does he even have a book? (laughs) <laughs> oh, my – yeah, oh, my goodness. Yeah, anyway, we just – I had to ask He's because – not to let you live that down. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, you work at a station with, like, Boomer and uh, Geo, and, the, yeah, I mean, there's some pretty yeah, major names yeah. there. So I just – I had to ask yeah. how it was, and the first time we talked, I was too afraid to ask because I felt like it was too new. You know what I mean?
0: <laughs> no, they do They do keep us. They do try to keep us. That's honestly true, though. They do try to keep the, the kind of the print guys and the internet guys away from the on-air personalities. They feel like we'll – Corrupt them or something, I don't know. Oh, okay. Well, Shots I, or something.
1: We're glad that you haven't kept away from us, even though we unfortunately kept away from you. And I'm really <laughs> sorry, no, I Andy. I appreciate it. I always, I, I always love coming on the show. Well, we uh, love having you. We will check in again probably towards the end of the summer when I'm sure the Islanders have done something else. And I guess if anything breaks in between, we'll give you a shout. But, Andy, real yeah, pleasure. Andy Graziano, you can check him out. And the legendary... 660 wfan uh, with of course our legendary fan favorite uh, Mike Francesca most popular member of the Steve dangle podcast and he doesn't even know we exist I don't even know if he'd know how to download this show it'd <laughs> be subscription and Andy uh good luck with everything and we'll uh we'll talk to you again very very soon my friend thank you thanks guys much appreciated take care all right pal so, I mean, we, we haven't gotten to every signing. And, and here's the deal. Uh, we can't. Um, well, there's we no have way. We another show
2: this week. Yeah. When and usually we would have gone down
1: to one show a week. That's you know? when I think we'll talk about it. Like, obviously, Phil Kessel was traded. You know, uh, what the hell are the Wild doing? We saw the, the 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 lizard quote with Paul Fenton talking about Zuccarello, where he sticks his tongue out and gets what he wants. But we can't really get into it because we're really and truly out of time. But I do want to throw this out there. And, and Jesse, I don't know if you've considered things this way. If you've been watching uh, the NBA uh, free agency, you know that uh, the Knicks struck out on Durant and Kyrie. Mm-hmm. And oh. and they walked across the street to Brooklyn. And I find it so funny that the same organization that can't nail down uh, Durant and Kyrie Ir- uh, Irving can somehow pull in Artemi Panarin because the Rangers are so A-plus, but the Knicks are a, like a, a negative F. It's unbelievable to me. Does that, James Dolan own I think, yeah, I believe the owns Rangers? Both. Yes.
2: Wow. I did not know that, and I am surprised yeah. their rebuild is going so well because
1: Jeff Gordon Jeff is Jeff Gordon, a.k.a. Jimmy
2: Altieri, is doing a ridiculous job. And, uh, you know, in terms of the Metro playoff picture, we
1: might see a uh, switcheroo of the New York teams there. I think so. I think the Rangers are – I, I don't see how the Rangers aren't, at least in the top three, maybe top two conversation. I mean, if, especially if yeah. – if, well, Georgiev and Lundqvist are your goalies?
2: Well, and – uh, to me the big one is they're talking about trading Chris Kreider who I think the Rangers should ask for the Sun and the Moon for. I want to see with every fiber of my being Artemi Panarin play on a line with Chris Kreider.
1: Ooh. just
2: I set up and set up I and bet set up As and, soon oh. as the
1: season starts, I bet the Kreider rumors go away.
5: Unless he's gone, by then.
2: Unless he's gone. But
1: were you guys shocked at the dollar
5: amount? Cuz I was. With I didn't think Panera? it would get that high for Panarin. Uh, well,
2: just in the, if you had asked me two weeks ago, I would have been surprised at that number, but, uh, <laughs> it's like the night before and they're talking about 13 million dollars. That's yeah. why I had that tweet where I was like, dude, the, we might go to bed tomorrow night and the highest paid player in the NHL will be a guy who didn't make his NHL debut until he was almost 24 and he was undrafted. You know, it, it was, it was such a mind blowing thing to me and, uh, a little bit like Tavares too. Uh, almost the same numbers mm-hmm. as well oh yeah he's gonna get 13 million dollars oh 11. Whew. and so it, <laughs> it was it was a little bit like that with panarin where i saw 11-6 and i was like ah it's nothing he left money on the table i want to see the first big fish or well first big fish in a couple years the biggest fish not leave any money on the table they go to the team with the highest offer yeah if it was Tavares, he'd be making 13 million bucks right now if it was Panarin, he'd be making 12.5 million bucks right now.
1: You know what I mean? If it was McDavid, he'd be making 15.9 million oh, bucks right now. Oh <laughs> my God. Is that the max? <laughs> that was the max that year. Oh, okay. It's no longer the max. I think the max is 16 something. It's ridiculous. It's, it's crazy. crazy. When you look at the NBA,
2: it's amazing nobody is making, like, even in the same ballpark as the max in the NHL. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: Well, I, I mean, th- there was that tweet that went viral the other day that was talked about Yarmir Yager in 99 was like making 10 million bucks. And, you know, the top free agents were all around the same 10, 15 million bucks in every major league. And then this year, it's like, you know, McDavid 12.5. Oh. You know, like LeBron James 42. McDavid? Like, I, it's, it's
2: nuts. I want to say Dean made like nine, over nine million dollars when I was still in like elementary
1: oh, school. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, I think... One heck of a show! Thank you so much for listening. We are going to be live from Port Perry. The tickets for that are sold out, but we're going to have a really fun time. Uh, if you are coming, bring your questions. If you're not coming, what we're going to do is go. F- no, sorry.
2: Uh, no. If you're
1: not coming, that one. Yeah. Make sure. Let's start a. Uh, I don't know, Jesse, how you normally do the questions, honestly, on Reddit. But uh-huh. if um, if we start a thread now about your questions, we're going to do a mostly question and answer episode. I think I'll, just, I'll send out a tweet.
5: Okay. On Twitter. Ooh, and then you the can tweets. reply to the
1: tweet, tweet with her. your question, mm-hmm. and then we'll get to it on Thursday. Beautiful. Beautiful. And those questions, by the way, can change between now and Thursday. I had a bunch of people messaging me over the weekend just in my DMs going, oh, my God, what are the Leafs going to do? <laughs> and then the Tyson-Barry uh, thing uh, happens, and, and I got a bunch of follow-up messages going, never mind, I'm better now. <laughs>
5: <laughs> oh, dude.
1: Yeah, exactly. Crazy. i are you trying to wrap. But That's you
5: asked okay. CJ the question. How, do you, how are you guys going to remember Nazim Kadri? Like, what memory mm. sticks out? It's 10 years, a long time.
2: Yeah, uh, I'm choosing not to remember uh, the suspensions. I mean, it's part of his story, it's part of the reason he's gone. So you can't ignore it. But I said, man, I've been saying for probably half a decade now re- regarding Nazim Kadri it's a miracle he was a leaf for as long as he was. Uh, they were so bad for so long and so stupid, and yeah, Tallasikins called him fat, and they called him Fatso on the Toronto Sun, uh, which Yuri Toulousey thinks is rather polite, oh, right? Because they
1: printed Yuri Toulousey's penis.
2: Well, well, n- well. Almost. Well, they posted about it. Um, to you to, could never... to do what you oh, said man. would be illegal. I think, but um, anyway, it's been it's been a wild ride for Nas. and it was amazing seeing how long he stuck it out through the dark mm-hmm. dark years in Toronto and the fact that he got to like see a little bit of the light uh helps a bit the the look on his face when Bozak scored the OT winner against the Caps um damn it i just wish i, I was going to say i wish they could have gone farther farther i wish they could have gotten out of the first round i wish they could have won a stanley cup um but you know Nas left a big impact and and a lot of the messages that i got regarding my video or heading into my video were from fans from like you know the middle east and and asian cultures and Nas got a lot of yeah like a lot of people uh, Nas got a lot of people into hockey yeah. Uh, and it's it goes back to a conversation we've had several times. You know, it's not always the most welcoming. And some of you are going to roll your eyes and just remember some of you don't have the same experience as those people. So it was awesome uh, to have him as a Leaf for as long as he was. Uh, his NHL career is not done. He's <laughs> going to
5: continue to play. Yeah, he's not retiring. but
2: <laughs> Well, he's about to be Robin to Nathan McKinnon's Batman. Mm-hmm. And that is... Terrible news for the Central Division. Um, it I, sucks I think Colorado losing, wins that division. Man, it sucks losing Tyson Berry, but holy uh, smokes. They got the
1: defense to do it. I think, I, I woo, they're you scary. Got,
2: they got, if I'm not mistaken, off the top of my head, they have Nathan McKinnon and Nazem Kadri for $10.8 million. Yeah. Less yeah. than John Tavares. And I love John Tavares with all my heart. But wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Two Incredible value contracts, and still the world of cap space.
5: Twenty-seven million dollars projected right, right now. Right <laughs> now, what? Yeah.
2: So they can sign ranton to like a terrible deal, mm-hmm. and still be
5: who
3: cares?
2: They they can get nearly three Rantanens <laughs> if they wanted. <laughs> That's that. What are the Avalanche up to? Sakic said he's not in the business of signing offer sheets. And Sakic is a dirty liar because he himself signed one as a player. Yeah. So uh, this summer is not done, not done by a long shot.
1: I think he would be ridiculously silly not to do one. I think he he. I think it's. I think if you're a general manager, and I I would say this, I I admire what Mark Bergevin did with Aho, except I don't think that that was. I mean, no. I if, if this is two years ago, pre-Tom Dundon, when they, uh, when that family was suing each other, whatever the, their names were, like the father and the two sons were suing each other that owned the Carolina Hurricanes, you could see then how maybe Carolina couldn't have matched. But Tom Dundon lit $50 million on fire for half a season of that football league. Like, he's, the guy's loaded. <laughs> yeah. well, he'll and be nuts. okay. And a- nuts. And
2: nuts. Do you want to have pissed off that kind of crazy when you have Paling and Suzuki I and Dun- this
1: and that and that and that, you got this. Dundon's not pissed at the Canadians. Dundon's pissed at, uh, at Ajo's agent. And he said that today. Uh, oh, he said, he said, the agent sold Montreal a bill of goods, I believe was the quote. Oh, uh, so as in, like, this is, Yeah. This is going to get so much
5: dumber before it gets smart. It's going to
2: be
1: great. Because
5: <laughs> I, I sat there one. I was like, why would Montreal do this? Because Bergerman's sitting there and he's like, this isn't a real threat. Mm-hmm. But if the agent came to him and was like, hey, if you do this, maybe you will take it. Maybe it'll happen. Then that's a different story. Yeah. Uh,
2: immediately people started, you know, comparing it to the Leafs and, oh, what does this mean for that? Dude. That contract. If Mitch Marner got that contract, I would drive to Montreal and hand Mark Bergevin flowers. <laughs> are, are you kidding me?
1: Yeah, really. Are you so It'd would do, it. do yeah. it?
2: We'd we'd be looking at each other. We'd be the Spider Man meme with our thick frame glasses.
1: Yeah, GMs Man, looking up
2: for each other and matching giant bouquets of flowers.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, just a quick thing on on uh, on on another player that I think, you know, is lost in all this is, is Connor Brown, and I, I'd just like to quickly say that, you know, guy played 250 <sighs> games, and we have to remember that Connor Brown was the beginning of the turnaround. A 2012 draft pick. A from, si- here. Yeah, a, yeah, from, from here. Yeah, from here, a sixth rounder. And before Nylander, before Marner, before Matthews... A minus 72 in his draft year. Yep. <laughs> Jesus. A, before all of those guys, though, and even before Freddie the Goat. Um, Connor Brown was the guy that we were like. I remember going into the Nylander draft year, going, "Well, hey, listen, they got one guy. This Connor Brown guy sure, sure seems like he might be something, and he and he was. And I think Connor Brown scores twenty goals with his eyes closed next year. Um, uh, yeah, because he's going to get the opportunity. If, listen, if Ryan Zingle can score twenty goals with the Senators last year, I think Connor Brown can do it too.
2: He was a luxury for the Leafs. It made no sense to have a two plus million dollar player on the fourth line. He ain't going to be on Ottawa's fourth line. No. He'll be have the you top looked at their guy. roster? Like. Thank goodness they got a bunch of leafs. Like Dubas wasn't kidding. Their roster is like twenty percent former leafs yeah. now because they didn't have any players heading into Canada today.
1: And that's that's where I I I just you know, with, with local guys, with Mitch Marner as well, with, with guys that grew up here, they are living the dream that all of us grew up wanting. And for him, he carried himself with class, he worked hard, he didn't complain. Lou Amarela made him wait till August to sign that uh, the contract that he's currently on because Lou was Lou. He's like, "You're just going to wait," uh, and and you know he came in and gave what he could. He outlived his, unfortunately, and I hate to put it this way, outlived his usefulness for the Leafs because his his best role is not what the Leafs could offer him. Again, it made no sense to have him on the fourth he's line. He's a luxury,
2: man. He's uh, he, a luxury. He was a luxury. But,
1: He'll have a great couple seasons on the Sens
2: and probably make more than the $2 million he's making now.
1: And did you ever look at Connor Brown's game and go, boy, he's not working hard enough? <laughs> no! Never no, once. No, never. He got, never once. Yeah.
2: I never really liked uh, the Brown criticism. Well, I never. mean, I can
1: understand the numbers criticism, like what he brought, but I also have to just say, like, I'm, I'm honestly... Uh, I think that that was the role he was in. Just like with Nikita Zaitsev after his first season, I think they threw him to the wolves, just like they did with Morgan Riley the season before, to see what do you have. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Zaitsev had it, and I think Morgan Riley did. Yeah. And I mean, and so in 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 saying all that, little shout out to to Connor Brown too for thank thank you for being the first of many prospects yeah. that came along and made a difference the, here. Thank you to the son of Ann. Yeah. I got to, got to meet his mom at Game Three against Washington. <laughs> And thank you for even allowing that series to happen, because if it hadn't been for his goal, they don't make the playoffs that year. The little leprechaun has found a pot of
0: gold! (laughs) Great call.
1: Vintage
2: Bowen. Uh, So, shout out to all the former Leafs, even Ronald Hainsey, dammit.
1: Gonna miss all of you. Are we done? We're done. Cool. We'll see you Thursday in Port Perry. What time, 7? I don't know. Yeah. What time? Seven. Yeah, seven, seven, poor pair. What do
2: you mean you don't know?
1: I was just joking. You that mean, was seven.
2: a bad joke. You're a bad joke. You know <laughs> the time. Yeah.
1: Hey, man. I'm actually asking for people. Seven o'clock? <laughs> yeah. Okay, but be there earlier, right? Yeah. All right, cool. We'll have some beers. We'll have a good time. Panago pizza?
0: <laughs> Follow the guys on Twitter, at Steve underscore Dangle, at Adam W-Y-L-D-E. And at Jesse Blake. The Steve Dangle Podcast. Brought to you by Panago Pizza. Order at Panago.com and stuff your face with deliciousness.